0: So hi, I'm Roshni Sanaja Aswal. Well. I am the promoter of Javajit Industries, and I'm also the founder of Swanrose India Private Limited.
1: If you love stories about powerful women, then you will love this very special episode of the Founder Thesis podcast. Roshni Sana Jaiswal has been a trailblazer throughout her career. She started Bangalore's very first premium bar and nightclub, and then scaled that one location into a nationwide chain that also owned the India franchise for Hard Rock Cafe. She was not done yet. Next, she joined her family business in the alcohol space, leading the turnaround efforts at the publicly listed Jagjeet Industries which owns the aristocrat premium brand of whiskey. What followed next was an incredibly hard eight years in which the company went through every crisis imaginable and yet emerged stronger and healthier than ever. Roshni is now building a global D2C brand in the beauty and wellness space and this might be her most ambitious project yet. Stay tuned for this fascinating conversation and please to subscribe to Founder Thesis on YouTube or any audio streaming platform.
2: I want to kind of uh, understand your origin story. You're from a business family. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Like, what was it like growing up in a business family? What was the family business like? Uh,
0: um, yeah, uh, what was sad is I think growing up uh, in a business family is having a lot of business conversations around a dining table. Uh, I think I was no different in that sense, uh, but there was I think this overarching, uh, you know, what was the
2: business th- whole... that the family was into?
0: So, so the family was uh, had two different kinds of businesses, two public listed companies. One was uh, Jagajit Industries. Uh, which was set up by my grandfather 74, 75 years ago.
1: Wow.
0: Uh, it's the first alcohol company in India. Uh, you know, it started off as a distillery, but we also have our own brands. And our biggest brand, I guess, would have would have been and is now also Aristocrat Premium Whiskey. Uh, and then there was Milk Food Limited, uh, which was started in 1975 by my father. And uh, that does uh, manufactures Milk Food Ghee. Um, Okay, yeah. So, it's a Mm -hmm. ghee brand. I mean, they once upon a time used to do, uh, they did the first ever yogurt. Uh, They did uh, ice cream, which was sold to Nestle's later.
2: And your father had
0: siblings? My father has siblings. He has siblings. He's got two But the family has
2: remained united, like uh, in most families, you know, when second generation,
0: they're like, No, no, the family did split.
2: How old were you that time?
0: I mean, I was much younger. Uh, You're talking about this is in 2000. It's all sort of started in, I would say, in 2000. So it was actually pretty much uh, at the onset of where my career was just beginning. Uh, I I was, you know, uh, starting the bar in Bangalore was exactly in 2000. It was, you know, 180 proof, uh, kind of launched my career.
2: Tell me about your career. What path did it take? Where did you go for your graduation, and so on? And uh, how did you end up uh, starting a bar?
0: So I was uh, I was studying in uh, New York University, and after I graduated, I worked there for uh, a few years, um, and then at that point in time, I was dating someone. Uh, you know, we were going out, and 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 he was my boyfriend, and. He got an amazing job opportunity in India, and uh, he wanted to come back uh, and start, uh, you know, this company, you know, set up, you know, at that point, it was set up shop in India for, you know, this particular company. And we took a call. We said, I was from Delhi, he was from Bombay, and we said, "Uh, let's go to a neutral territory, and Angelo was being Yes. yes, and Bangalore you, is really actually.
2: You were not married yet, I guess. Staying in that same city with your family and all would have.
0: <laughs> no, been we were not. No, but I, but but it was strange because I mean, even though his family was from Bombay, you know, and we the reason we actually went is also we heard so much about Bangalore, being touted as this amazing, amazing, uh, city, Silicon Valley of India. So there was like a lot of hope and scoop and. Bangalore. Very cool, lovely weather, all of those things. Uh, and uh, But his family actually did move to, his father and mother and sister actually did move to Bangalore also at that point. So we said, oh well, what the hell, it's a new city, let's go and try. And so we did go and try. Uh, but when we got to India, because my boyfriend was quite, uh, at that point, uh, conservative, <laughs> I think he was basically like, okay, we were living together in New York. And he was like, Okay, if you're going back to India, we have to get married. We cannot continue living there. So when we did come to India, we did get married, Uh, and then of course, uh, you know, from there on, we were living in Bangalore. So that became our home, and it was a rude shock because uh, New York and uh, the hype and what we were reading. I think to me it was uh, uh, it was I was depressed. I have to say I was depressed at that time because I was like, oh my god, Uh, just from the energy of New York, you know, it felt uh, like this. Really, it was a beautiful town, but you know, very sleepy, quiet. uh, Just didn't have that hustle and bustle that one was looking for. Um, Yeah, especially
2: like back in two thousand. Two thousand is when you moved, right?
0: Yeah, no. We moved earlier. We moved in 1998. We moved in 1998. So the bar opened in 2000. That was two years later.
2: Uh, so, this must have been when Bangalore used to have that culture where in the afternoon all the shops would close because people yeah, would. Go you, yeah,
0: and then, you know, there was this sort sort of element of uh, you had sort of curfew, so everything shut by eleven o'clock. Also. Uh, so, you know, it was like, I could never understand the logic of that. And then you had these, you know, these crazy rules and, you know, there's this concept of dance bars. So bars were a dirty word. Bars were, a bar was a dirty word uh, at right. that point. It meant that there was all kind of, you know, other things Six that were going cent. on. Yeah, going on behind the scene. But pub was okay. Bangalore was a uh, pub culture, but bar yeah, was, that's right.
2: was a very okay. dirty word. Yeah. Is, is there technically a difference between a pub and a bar, or these are just like?
0: No, I think it's just. I think it's just people had known dance bars, and till then uh, there were no bars. I think so, you know it was always sort of pubs that that people saw, and even when you walked in one, it was definitely reminiscent of. What you would find in the UK, right? You know, brass and wood, and it was it was that notion of it. But in in Bangalore, when we moved, there were uh, I recall at that point there were about two hundred and fifty pubs, uh, and it was not even that. And sometimes it was all it took was a liquor license and yeah, a broken down music system, plastic chairs, <laughs> <jazz, laughs> uh, money plant, you know, so then and that was a pub because you could go there and drink. Uh, and you know, the best of them at that point, I remember, was a place called uh, Black Cadillac. Actually, uh, and we used to go there a lot. And you know, it was just an improvement on everything that I've just said, but you know, a little better because the music was better over there, etc. But so, it, I think the notion of what was happening dramatically to. To nightlife and what we were exposed to when you were in the states, to where India was, they were miles apart. They were really, really miles apart.
2: Uh, so a bar essentially has that, like a proper bar in it, where you have all those bottles behind a bartender and the glasses hanging upside down and stuff. Uh, so, so that's what yeah. that's how you would define a bar. Like,
0: yeah, I mean, I mean, as you would define a pub as well, because you would have, you know. There is a threshold technically, which is the bar, and you the bartenders are behind it and you have your you know alcohol. That's also a pub, uh, to the extent. But black Cadillac like, at that point in time, I mean, it was also very these places were also very, very dark, right? There's this sort of I think that it's a strain because the the darker you kind of, you know, it was there and you sort of, you know, it was very dimly lit and it it sort of worked around that. And yes, it wasn't a big colossal bar in a lot of these places because the places were small. There were small bars. There were bars. There were bars. Mm.
2: Okay. So, uh, like, you were not satisfied with the options there, so you decided to start one yourself?
0: Like, Yeah. Um, I think there were... Yeah, it was strange. I think I looked at a couple of things and, you know, it was a bizarre childhood dream. Um, anyways to sort of throw it around and my friends actually reminded me of this when I did start it this said, my god you used to say you're going to open a bar and a nightclub and uh, i was 14 15 when i used to say that so uh if i had when i actually began it it was not like i was thinking that at all um it was just i was thinking like oh my god how do i improve my life over here uh, you know i need a place to go to um and you know like i was used to going to and you know I was like you know how can we actually do that over here where we, and I also saw that when we were going to these bars or these pubs, right, at that point in time, you know, you you were, you know, what we were wearing when we were going out in New York, you were wearing skirts and dresses, and, you know, you were in that zone. And when you were here, you were covering everything uh, as much as you could. And I was like, well, you know, the notion of being able to really dress up or dress sexy and be able to go out and really have a good time that somehow just did not uh was not available or did not exist for women at least and you know i was like well why is that not here so why can we not do that and it was actually all those things that actually played in eventually uh and you know everyone and the reason i remember that 250 number was because it was thrown at me by journalists it was thrown at me by friends uh Uh, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Because uh, the investments in those days were also tiny that went into places. 180 proof uh, was 4,500 square feet, which was unheard of in size uh, to open something that big also. And then, you know, the renovation cost, and it was on the crossing of St. Mark's and MG Road, and we took uh, this old building, which... Technically, may have just gotten demolished because that was the intention. But it was a 1912 building. Uh, it was the Book Society, and uh, I just loved the building. And I said, "Let's restore it." So the restoration and the renovation took over a year. It was way more expensive than something you know. If I just gone into a new building and you know put up a bar there, but the idea was like beautiful, you know, thirty foot ceilings and. You know, it actually became a a, a sort of a speck for us even going forward as as life changed that we always look for spaces with really high ceilings uh, after that first property. So uh, but we started... You, you took the
2: whole building and converted it into a...
0: It, it was a it was a one floor. Uh, it was just like a single, you know. It was like a it was like a house. Like think about an old 1912 structure. It was like you know, and we took the inside There were like roots of trees, everything. So we just took that one space, and there had there was outside of the back courtyard as well. So you had this whole internal space, and we had a we had a, a little bit of a half a mezzanine on the top. So you actually had space even on the top, and then you had uh, this whole right next to us at that point in time uh, was barista. So there were these two buildings that had the same look. Uh, one part of it was barista, and then there was 180 proof right next to it. And right next to us after that was Koshis, uh, which is of course an institution in Bangalore. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was literally starting this, but this was book society, uh, which belonged to the Bible society. And so it was controversial. Uh, How did
2: you, uh, like, did you buy it off them or like, how did you get it? No,
0: no, no, we never bought. I mean, it was all, uh, we we leased, we leased, we leased it. Uh, We leased it and we, you know, rented it at embassy. Uh, Jitu Virwani was uh, the owner at that point of that. So I leased it through him, actually. Uh, He went on to become uh, a very, very good friend of mine as well. Uh, many years in, uh, but yeah, I leased it through him.
2: And uh, it, does it still exist there, 180 proof? or? Uh,
0: 180 proof doesn't, the building does. Uh, it became Hard Rock Cafe later. And in fact, what we did is uh, we expanded it even further. So that barista portion uh, got included. And so all of it, I think the total, I think then it must have grown to almost like seven, 8,000 square feet. Uh, so it all became then Hard Rock Cafe, and uh, it's it's there today. I mean, it still exists. It's, a, it's the building is still very much there. So I think we I think we definitely did. Uh, if nothing else, we at least did service uh, and we kept this beautiful historic building, uh, brought it back to life and kept it up.
2: <laughs> wow, uh, how did you fund this? Like uh, through family money or?
0: No. So, yeah, I mean, as in family money, you know, we were uh, both actually, we were given, I was given a flat, uh, you know, when I got married, you know, for, we sold the flat uh, and that's how it was funded. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was personal. Yes, it is family money because eventually it did come from family source, but yeah. It was, you know, so...
2: Yeah, it was life here. savings in a way. like Yeah, like. yeah, like
0: like that. And therefore it, it mattered. And, you know, we were young. And, you know, at that point you also think that, okay, it is life savings, but, you know, you have the urge, but you can't afford to sort of just throw it out also, right? But like, so, I mean, everything was invested in it. And it was it was definitely a labor of love, you know, at some point in time, you know, the friends that we made in Bangalore, all sort of came together. It was all very new, right? All these new friends and all, and all of our friends actually, strangely ended up being partially because of that. You know, uh, architects and designers, and because you were working with them. And these were people who had sort of actually, a lot of them had actually also moved to Bangalore from different parts of the world. You know, some had come from, again, New York, some had come from Calcutta. Uh, so uh, it was strange how all our actually closest friendships actually started with what we were creating over here. Uh, because I think uh, between, you know, uh, you know, Sandeep Klosla, who, Kabir Hira, who are both architects, and then uh, Tanya, who was the graphic design was not even heard of in that day and age. And, you know, we used graphic designers, you know, at that point, and she was the first graphic designer around at that point and, and sort of working with them. I think it was the creation, I mean, it was absolutely magnificent. And uh, for, I think, each of us, it was a labor of love. And so it cemented uh, a lot of our futures, I think, going forward. Everyone became famous on it, actually. Everyone. I think there was not anyone who was involved in this project, uh, including the DJs that worked there. Everyone, I think, got famous and went on so, 180 proof. I think just did a remarkable amount in that that it I think helped establish everybody that you know at some level uh, touched it.
2: Mm, amazing. Uh, you were like the solo founder here uh, when you started.
0: So we, when I started, yes. Uh, so it was mine as it started, and then uh, my husband saw me, Jeff saw me having lots and lots of fun uh, at 180. So I Six, six, seven, he actually quit his, uh, his venture. And he also joined the bar six, seven, seven months later. So he also joined the bar. Uh, and you know, it was both of us because I mean, it's just, you are going every night. And so, you know, he was also obviously coming every night. And then I don't have to wake up at like nine o'clock anymore. Right. But he does. <laughs> and he to work, right? My work only starts at about 1231 in the
2: afternoon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and of course, the curfew still plays out, but, uh, you know, it was it was always like, you know, it was always literally, uh, eventually you had so many friends and you got to know people so well that, that even though you had the curfew uh, at least once a week, if not twice, 60, 70 people were coming to our house post 11 o'clock. So you'd actually have, like, the bartenders, two, three guys from the bar, including, would just transfer. So, like, the party would just transfer to your home. So it became, it was, like, fabulous years uh, to experience. Uh, it was just incredible. Yeah,
2: so uh, tell me the journey. Like, uh, how did you do on the launch date? Like, like that must be, I'm sure, seared into your mind. Like, you know, the day yeah. when you it, <laughs> open it up to public.
0: So it was, uh, it was, uh the eighth of March, it was crazy. Two thousand. Um, it was a couple of days actually before launch, where the 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 Book Society actually had a, a big candlelight vigil march across the streets. Uh, you know, basically, they were very very upset that this bar was coming up, and um, you know, just really really upset. And it was a very scary moment because we didn't know whether we'd open and we had of course by then you've invested everything right you've even hired staff and everything is ready and it's ready to go and for two days uh this march sort of continued uh, you know you were being called i was being called by reporters back and forward all the time uh to just sort of you know see what's going on um it was crazy it was actually crazy uh But I don't, I'm not trying to remember what actually happened. It did subside because somehow we were allowed to open. And two days later, the opening did take place. And the opening for us was, you know, we just, we didn't know, right? Everyone had said, my God, you're investing this amount of money. It's too much money. You know, everyone look at the size of this place. And so one just didn't know, you know, there wasn't that, you know, you had the sense of faith and vision and belief in yourself that you were doing this, but everybody around you was saying that it's not going to work. And so the idea for the launch also, and I think Bangalore had never seen this, was that we just opened it as a party, an open house party. Uh, uh, so, you know, we said, sent out invites and we said, just come, you know, and, 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 and I think that was actually you know, we did it because we just didn't know where we would be, but it actually really, um, again, cemented. It brought a lot of goodwill uh, because you had this. You sent the invitations out, and we had like nine hundred people walk through the doors that night.
2: Wow! Uh, How do you mean, identify whom to send invitations to? Like, you so, need to send it to the right people, right?
0: Yeah, so I mean, you know, these friends of ours who, you know, you know, Tanya, Sandeep. Uh, we had a PR agency at that point in time, uh, absolutely, especially with all of this. uh, And I think they also helped a lot in terms of, you know, sorting out what happened. But I mean, you know, when when something like this happens, I mean, I don't know how much PR, you can do what you want, but if, you know, it's going to, I think people were kinder also. I think Delhi, somewhere else, ah, boy, a whole different climate. Uh, Mm. But I think people were just really, really much, much kinder over there. And, uh, you know, the I think we also had the benefit that um, my neighbor on the right side uh, had was KJ George. He had an office. So uh, he was also really supportive. He saw what we did with the building. So I think, you know, it was strange how I sometimes think that, you know, when you really work at something and you really believe in something, I think the, I, I don't want to use these words, but I want to say that the universe kind of came together. Yeah. To sort of help us sort of move forward, and I think that's exactly what happened over here. Um, so yes, the list and all came from you know a lot of our friends who said you know oh you've got to have these people. And the PR agency said you know this. So it was you know, we put together a list, we sent out you know cards to everyone, and and didn't know whether they'd come or not because this was uh, actually this was a very New York thing. Uh, New York launches a lot of bars and clubs by having a private party initially and uh inviting people and that's how they hope that you know word of mouth will fuel and that's exactly yeah.
2: it probably ends happened. up coming on page three or something like that did you end up on page three
0: we did
1: wow <laughs> we did, we
0: did uh, many many times for many things i mean uh so it was it was it was a mixed bag of things because it was uh it was also like you know it was it was it was the, the march and then it was the story and then it was uh, the opening so yeah we did we ended up on i think not just page three i think we were also on page one uh, number of times over there so for something or the other because we took a lot of initiative we we hosted plays there uh, you know you know we actually did like what we call off off broadway kind of theater there is this uh, sort of woman-centric play which had sort of come out and rocked New York at that point in time called The Vagina Monologues and uh, yeah so at that point my friend Ruchika who's a director uh, actually you know scripted this for 180 proof and took people who were technically you know not just actors but there were people who used to visit the bar had them act uh, and 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 did the vagina monologues in in the bars. So we used to keep doing different different things. Uh, so it was it was quite uh, you know it was it was inspiring. It was fun for I think people who were involved at at every level. Mm.
2: Yeah. How did the journey go in terms of like you know what kind of revenues did you do each year and uh, like like tell me about the the you know how that from that one bar like what happened next.
0: Um, so you know we grew uh, revenues were fantastic uh, you know I think I, I don't think bars had done this kind of revenue before We were I can't even say these numbers anymore by the way <laughs> I'm like they were just they were just they were very very I mean I, I don't think anyone in India had done these kind of numbers from well, what would a that.
2: good night bring you?
0: Uh, I mean, you know, I'm I'm going to sort of, you know, long time ago, but, you know, we would make 70, 80, uh, you know.
2: 70, 80 lakhs is a good night.
0: Yeah. Wow. Not a good night, a good okay, month. About, a good okay. Month. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I mean, there's a difference. Uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. We used to have about, every weekend we had about 900,000 people coming in, uh, but on even weekdays, where most places just sat empty, we were sitting with about 250, 300 people coming in. And initially when we had sort of looked at, you know, what kind of revenue we would do, we had, that number was half. We had looked at half that number. Uh, you know, we said we'd sort of hit somewhere in that zone. We would not be uh, going above that because we'd looked at every spend and, you know, Bombay, uh, Bangalore people were also more, more cost conscious and more frugal. And we said, well, you know, it won't happen, but food was introduced. People, people were just, you know, people were there every night. It was quite, it was pretty incredible in that sense. But it sort of, it sort of pegged, I mean, the success uh, was overwhelming. It, you know, set, set us up for next uh, level of growth. And it was interesting because such, such big success. And then we said, got so excited and we took a building uh, in Indra Nagar. This was actually a building. Uh, three floors. Uh, and we said, let's start doing uh, thalis. You know, thalis were very common in in Bangalore. And we said, well, why not do thalis from across India uh, in a clean, sanitized, uh, smart environment? Uh, and, you know, Sri Thaliwala came up, you know, we did the same with, you know, street food called Rasta food. So it was one floor this, one floor that. Uh, and it failed, it bombed. Completely. Uh, one, year later we that? That of, one year later, we found that you know, it uh, was the the ticket size was really s- small, so margins are very very slim uh, because even though you were because you were in the fancier space, you were paying a little bit more, but you couldn't really get people to come and pay that much, right? Because you needed to drive numbers here. Yeah, this was a volume game very different from where we were sitting in the bar business, which was more sort of luxury versus this. And it required us to sort of, you know, sit there uh, a bit like a Munim. And I don't think uh, either Jay or I had the personality to do that. And we found that we were actually, we found we were not doing badly, but our manager was taking us for a ride. But at the end of that year, we figured also that, Even if we were to throw them out and start again, I don't know whether it was uh, what we wanted to do. We learned early that this is not going to ever work for us, that we should not be in a a value business uh, or a volume driving business like this uh, because we did not per se enjoy it. It was not what we were made of and early learnings but so so that was not good because we had had this massive success one year and the next year this bombed at the end of the year um and and it it, it was okay i mean it was it, it was it was bad uh, from from you know i think a leveler let's say it was a good leveler for us uh, from you know hey being excited and you know at some point you know you can try to be you're trying to be humble but you know what you're feeling quite pumped at that point. And then this happens and, well, uh, you know, it just corrected everything. And I think uh, that level, level playing field then took us forward from there. And we, you know, FBAR approached us, uh, Michelle Adam for FBAR through uh, a friend of us, Sanjay Mehtani at that point in time. He was a really dear friend in Bangalore who later became a business partner also well, so he okay. also joined hands with us two years later so initially he did f in bangalore and we did f bar in delhi and that kind of brought us to delhi because f bar started here and and it went on from there so 2005 you know uh, another friend you know master rights uh, hard rock cafe uh, came to us and you know we got the rights for india and then hard rock cafe five hard rocks opened shiro opened you know conceptually uh again you know aping the high ceilings and all of that all these spaces sort of started we started looking for warehouses basically uh, wow. because that's the spaces we wanted you know with the ceilings and that field so when we opened in bombay we went to the mills um I Wait, which we year probably, was this when you opened in uh we opened in bombay 2005. Uh, okay so we got yeah 2005, and Bombay had also I think pretty challenging times again because we some issue happened with uh, the BMC, and we were ready to open and they they they, they seized they locked our doors, wow. and uh, so that feeling of going bankrupt happened to us first almost when when 180 opened, and then it again happened to us with Hard Rock Cafe. And uh, but there it actually happened. We were closed down. Uh, some license issue there was. In uh,
1: Bombay.
0: In Bombay. I'm trying to rec- okay. recall what it was, but yeah, it was some. And for about six, seven months, so everything ready. They ready to open. Staff hired. Food inside. They wouldn't even, you know, they just shut and sealed the place. Uh, so seven months. It was that was very very scary. Very, very frightening because I think, you know, then it's like, you know, you had not just invested or or sold and made, but you had suddenly grown. And now you had risked because this was even bigger than that. So you were risking everything again. How
2: how many uh, properties did you have by then?
0: So this was uh, so we had done FBAR and then we came to Hard Rock and Hard Rock was Hard Rock and Shiro together. So it was a huge undertaking in terms of, uh, you know, so everything that you had earned in the last, you know, four years, five years, was all went to this. Everything went to this because this was such a big property. Uh, and there were two of them. And I mean, if you see the size of it, I think it's almost like 12,000, 15,000 square feet though, between wow. Shiro and Hard Rock and, and the renovation and the staffing and everything, 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 everything. Um, so you know it, it was very very scary time and then from there on it just sort of went on uh, you know and we i mean after it opened you know again did really really well took off and you know you ended up i sort of became less present in the business much less present um, my son was born i you know for two years i took a bit of a sabbatical as well at that time
2: Wait, when did you come back like uh, after your sabbatical which year
0: was that? I so I, I kind of came back around in, in seven two thousand seven okay. eight. I was sort of back doing bits and pieces back into it, but hmm. I didn't stick with it. I you know I exited in two thousand thirteen. Okay. You know, um, for me that was kind of the end. I I was sort of done. It was really not feeling good. I didn't want to go to a bar every night. Um, also, my 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 son was growing up, and it just somehow the life wasn't wasn't fitting. Uh, you know, there were many, many things that were going on at that point in time. Marriage was falling apart. Everything was sort of, you know, happening. Had had already started falling apart, right, in many ways. So I was like, you know, I'm kind of done with this. I want to leave and move away from it, uh, which is what I actually did. So in 2013, I kind of successfully exited the business.
1: and You,
2: said, you got like a cash basket. exit? Uh, like, did you get a I cash got a good, exit?
0: I got, I, I got a good exit. I got a good okay. exit.
2: How um, big was the business by then? Like, how many properties was it running? And
0: 30, 33 properties.
2: Wow, massive. Uh, okay. Yeah. And it was mostly Hard Rock.
0: No, so it was Hard Rock, it was Shiro, it was Asilo, it was California Pizza Kitchen. Um, okay. There was, you know, um, there was Ginger Tiger, there was, you know, it was across. There were little outlets, there were big outlets. So it was just some of them were just food focused. So the biggest thing, so, so one of the big things that happened when Sanjay Mehtani joined the business, he joined in 2005, was that he was um, brilliant with cocktails and food.
2: Okay. Mm.
0: So the skill set of, of that operational skill set of bringing in the, the food and, you know, what should this flavor be like and what should that be and just what should these things taste like. So he was very much that. You know, at that level, he was brilliant at that. Um, So, everyone was, you know, had their own sort of niches that were, you know, they were adding value at different levels. But over time, I think it just became really hard. My father, uh, you know, sort of approached me in 2015 because he saw that I was, uh, well, I was doing nothing. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do <laughs> uh, at that point in time. And, and, uh, you know jagjit was uh, really really struggling uh, so he just thought you know you know is you know are you, would you like to sort of come and you know join the company and help you know you know sort us you know help with these problems and stuff and uh, my discussion with him was yes of course what so. had
2: gone <laughs> wrong like why was it struggling in those like 15 years from 2000 to 2015 what what happened in it
0: um so initially it did very well uh, it did really really well uh i think the downturn if i recall correctly actually started in 2012 was it 12 or 13. i think it started in 12 or 13. so it had two two years or two and a half three years of downturn before i joined it
2: and what was uh, the
0: cause so i think it, uh, initially one was not able to pick on these courses but i mean when we dissected it of course there are a bunch of things right one we were massive for what we were actually producing there were inside factors and outside factors mncs had become very powerful their lobbying with the governments had become very calm the government had sort of given their year so the alcohol industry at that point was actually not being driven by domestic companies it was actually being driven by the mncs that had come in and really sort of pleaded out Diageo, perno ricard all of these companies bacardi you know were really really storming their budgets their interest rates uh, were nothing. So there was no, not even an even playing field uh, for domestic industry. Yeah, but um,
2: how, how can uh, an MNC influence government policy to disfavor domestic industry? Give me an example.
0: Okay, so this is not done in any obvious kind of way. So yeah, yeah, obviously. The,
1: yeah.
0: Absolutely not. So the, the industry body is, let's say CIBC. Uh, which is the apex liquor body, which is where we all belonged.
2: Confederation of Confederation, Indian exactly alcohol, of Indian Alcohol
0: beverage, and Beverages government. Industry, yeah, C-A-B-C. Okay, okay. Um, but so, for example, so you lobby governments, you lobby excessive. When an excise policy is coming out, we always do. Like, you know, government will always ask, so you go and you talk to them. But so they had, uh, so a lot of Indian companies were sitting in what we would call the regular segment which is uh, a segment. So regular segment is, uh, at that point, it would have been even lower, I would say. So like 100. So, so let's say the, the NIP, which is the biggest selling uh, skew across the industry, What's which is 180 ml. 180 ML. One
2: eighty okay. ml. What Hindi we call a power? <laughs> power exactly. The Power.
0: Let's say that's one of the no. highest selling things in in the industry, right? In the okay. in the mass market industry, anyway. Hmm. So this power that we were calling this one eighty <laughs> ml is sitting at 70, 60, 70 bucks. Uh, so regular segment is uh, just that level segment. Bef, below that, you go to like country liquor. Okay. Uh, so, this is just above the country liquor. It's in the IMFL segment. You're in the IMFL segment, but you're just that piece which
2: uh, IMFL for listeners is Indian-made Indian,
0: Indian made foreign, foreign liquor. Indian which I always thought
2: was such a funny term.
0: <laughs> I don't know why we have this term, but we've got yeah. it. It basically yeah. means... Uh, yeah, Yeah, so this is... Yeah, so it's not it's it's a sort of differentiating us from what we would call country liquor. That's yeah, what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, country liquor is literally, I think, spirit at its coarsest, uh, whereas this was more refined. Uh, it had something called... Uh, VMS, vatted malted spirit, the percentage okay. of it which made it smoother and things, right? Oh, cool. So at All that right. level, not so smooth, but at this level, it gets smoother as you go upwards, right? Right. So you have this regular segment and the regular segment is a lot of Indian industry are sitting in that regular segment and they're sitting in that one segment above, which is called the deluxe segment. So the Diageo come into the deluxe, they come into the semi-permanent.
2: Like there is a price for a yeah,
0: yeah, so it's like 180 rupees, 90, 120. So it's, the segments are 20, 30, 40 rupees apart. Okay. Earlier, the segments were wider. So you come in and you start lobbying government for price, right? So what happens is because you're not really controlling your price also. So the segments oh, that, start collapsing. The price
2: is set by the government, is it?
0: Yes, you're in that bracket, okay. in that excise right? So it's set by the government. Everything is controlled by the government. The only place okay. where you have free pricing is Maharashtra. Everywhere okay. else is, is kind of government. So the, the segments start collapsing. So what happens is if I have a consumer today who is a regular segment drinker and he's buying, let's say, my 180 ml for 60 rupees, and today the deluxe segment has become 70 rupees, because it has dropped from 90 to 70. Now, the jump for him is tiny. So not tiny, but small enough. And if he wants to upgrade, he upgrades there. And that started happening a lot in the industry. Uh, So this is one example, and there are several. Uh, so, So it was... It it sort of pushed into the upper segments started collapsing. It became more reachable. And this is a good thing for the consumer in one way because they are able to upgrade. It was a bad thing for the industry at large. Um, Basically,
2: there was a move towards premiumization, which uh, Kind of lost out on you. You did not I, have, uh, premium yeah. I options.
0: think, at, yeah. I think at that time, uh, most a lot of companies were struggling. I think Radico was struggling, Jagajit was struggling, Tilaknagar was struggling. Um, you know,
2: what are the flagship brands of Radico, Tilaknagar?
0: Uh, so Radico's flagship brand today, of course, they've gone seriously premium. So it would be Rampur because they are now in single mall. But eight PM. Ice, uh, okay. And they had magic moments, vodka. Their vodka was yeah. the biggest.
2: Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Hmm. And for Telaknagar, it was their brandy, mansion house brandy. Okay. Uh, again, sitting, you know. But uh, so uh, Telaknagar, very south driven, not
2: north. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, That's not, why I've not, not, not heard of Yeah. I've right. he not
0: heard of it because it's a uh, south south brandy mm. sort of that those markets Mo, Mo
2: and Mikan, that would also be in the same
0: old monk yes old monk Old Monk actually defied i think has probably it's uh, very different from everybody else in the sense that it has defied everything because somehow there is it has yeah, it is the, the, it's, despite... it's cross status it's cross status yeah everybody i know uh, doesn't matter who they are where which economic bracket they sit in Old monk is sitting on there. If they have a party, they'll have a bottle of Old Monk, yeah, and that's amazing because it's sitting with a Scottish single malt, Indian single malt, <laughs> blended Scotch whiskey, and 250 yeah. rupee old Old Monk is right, yeah, there, yeah. Right? so yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah. of amazing in that sense. So, yeah. so it's it's kind of gone through these segments in a, in a in a in an amazing way but I mean it, this is one example of how they but they had tremendous budget so the advertising the surrogate advertising the sponsoring of you know cricket this I mean the money that was there was, was significant and I think the Indianist industry was going through a pretty hard time also at large uh, suffering ABD was perhaps one of the few pan-India companies who was doing very well at that point in time.
2: Yeah, it is Allied Brewery. Allied and
0: Blenders, and, and yes, 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 okay. yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Kishore Kharjars, uh, Um Officers' Choice. Okay. So they were Officers' Choice also in the regular segment, and they had um, they had um, Officers' Choice Blue, which okay. was uh, that deluxe segment. So we all did. So we had aristocrat in the regular, and then we had aristocrat premium whiskey in the deluxe segment. Mm. Uh, it was that, that, that that sort of existed. But it was just the, the shaking up of the sector. Then it was, you know, outside factors like prohibition, you know, you know, state ban, some, yeah, like some or the other. A Gujarat, is, Gujarat has been around for ages as a dry state. So no one... Uh, but, you know, Bihar went into, you know, became a dry street. Uh, mm. There was conversations kept coming up about Telangana, Andhra, you know, th- those conversations. But Rajasthan went for a highway ban, you know, no alcohol, no no liquor shops on highway. So there were different, different things that were happening across. So the, the, the alcohol industry is, you know, a combination of everything inside and everything outside that is sort mm. of going on. Uh, you know, that just sort of hits you. Yeah,
2: you're not fully in control of your destiny. You're not in
0: control of your destiny, actually. The regulatory
2: regime determines a lot. Um,
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and and it's kind of crazy because, I mean, today we are such a forward-thinking country and economy. And I think we just have to, you know, brace this and say, you know, the whole world drinks this. Now let's just be responsible, create responsible drinking and be okay with it, right? This, This whole sort of oh my god drink it but drink it hidden and you know the taboness mm. around alcohol has not changed
2: so there's still like concerned. a nanny state regime in alcohol like in terms of government controlling a lot of things that that still exists today also
0: yeah of course it does it's not like i mean it was it was an eye opener when i went to africa right it was being sold like fmcg right. uh, i mean like the same shop that i bought detergent in you know you were buying you could buy booze mm-hmm. uh, i mean i mean you know if you talk about Technically, revenue. I mean, you can have a lot of, you know, reinforcement of, of you know, corrective advertising. You know, responsible drinking notions and advertising that could be done in public interest. But just from a, I think, a revenue perspective, if you deregulize, you know, alcohol to that extent, I mean, I think the revenue collection uh, could be significant, significant. It, you know, you don't have to. Well, well,
2: you know, why is that? Like right now, there's a lot of leakage in revenue. Like there's a lot of alcohol. No, I think you can, can
0: have much more because it's still limited, okay. right? You can oh, okay. have much more, right? You the access opens more. up. The you access can... opens up, right? Okay. You can, okay. you can. There are, there are ways of regulating it. For example, you could put it onto, e- you can do it in through e-commerce, mm. right?
2: Access. Oh yeah. Open. Right now, you can't do e-commerce for alcohol. No, you right? can't. Right. You know,
0: you could do e-commerce with alcohol also, right? Mm. And, and this is like, oh, I don't want a child buying. But there are easy ways today with digitization of controlling you know, buying. And you can't set a policy for the 10 people who are going to violate the policy, right? The policy must be set for uh, the the majority. And yes, you will have 20 people violating that policy. But mm, that you deal right. with, right? You, if you set it correctly, But uh, that should not be your thought in, you know, when we are setting policies. So I think, you know, it can be because the, you know, the, the employment that is generated through the industry, the revenue that is generated for the states through the through through the alcohol sector. And I think if we were to, uh, our, our biggest sort of naysayers are, are basically women. And if we were to really, uh, you know, and I, and, I, and I think, and there is a thing that, you know, okay, you know, women, you know, feel that, you know, my God, alcohol, you know, leads to abuse, et cetera. Well, actually alcohol perhaps exaggerates abuse. It doesn't lead to abuse because abuse is, uh, coming from a different beast. If a man is going to beat a woman and abuse a woman, he's going to do that any which way. Um, that's coming from a misogynistic mindset. It's not coming from alcohol. Alcohol just makes it, uh, you know, activates it at a different level, right? So if we if we were to, and I really think, and I think this is a, you know, now with, you know, parliament and you know, reservation for women, I think if the alcohol industry, and you know, we've we've tried to talk about this earlier, that you know, if we could actually uh, create mandates across states where um, the mandate is to hire 50 percent of the workforce is is actually generating uh, employment for women, 50, 60, 70 percent, you know, uh, because it's not intensive work, right? I mean, it's 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 bottles filling, right? You could always have have you know the more intensive work you can hire the men, you know, but it's very easily doable. And in the southern states, anyway, it's driven by women. So, if you look at alcohol companies, uh, you have women there, women workers. Mm, 90, okay. 80, 90% of your workers are women there.
2: Wow. Okay.
0: Yeah. Mm. Bangalore, uh, Hyderabad.
2: Uh, I have a couple of questions about specific states. Uh, so, when a state goes dry, uh, does the alcohol consumption in that state become zero? Or what happens?
0: No. No. Uh, just get you know illicit alcohol there, so like, you'll get it either smuggled from border states, okay, uh, which also happens, and uh, so you know, and or you have you suddenly have created a, a new breed of employment for people, everybody under a tree who can now uh, goes and starts making alcohol, and that's why you have the death toll increasing, and uh, you also start pushing people to drugs. Okay. Uh, so, a lot of people then go to drugs, and uh, it's 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 actually terrible. Hmm.
2: Okay. Uh, would you say Goa is the kind of uh, uh, like a ideal state in terms of their policies? Because Goa has alcohol, like you were saying about in Africa, you saw it was being sold like FMCG uh, every store. Uh,
0: well, yeah. no, they they also have policies, but. Goa is a decently liberal state. I think uh, they function from a slightly different mindset. They're also the cheapest in terms of the excise policy. So uh, actually, alcohol is the cheapest in Goa, which is, uh, of course, also, you know, this is also an interesting thing how we, you always have, you tend to have an expensive state adjacent to a cheap state. And uh, that's a little, that's a little silly, I would say. Uh, uh, Maharashtra is the most expensive state in alcohol and then you have goa right next to it. Uh,
2: and, so, and why is Maharashtra the most expensive? You said Maharashtra, it's, it's, people it's, can excise. set their own prices. Uh, yeah,
0: but excise duty. excise. Okay, duty.
2: the duty is high. Okay. Duties
0: are high, the duties, okay. the excise okay. duty, okay. yeah, okay. Okay. the excise okay. duties okay. are very high. Okay. So I mean, most of the price of anything is basically excise duty you're paying. So.
2: How much of the price is excise duty uh, on an average?
0: So average is what
2: 70%? Wow. So yeah. if I'm buying something like if I'm buying a beer for 100 bucks, 70 rupees is going to the government.
0: Yeah. So yeah, it's very high. It's very high. Wow.
2: Okay. Okay.
0: It's it's very high. It varies, varies, but approximately. Yeah.
2: Mm. Okay. Okay. How does uh, pricing happen? The government needs to uh, give you a price for every product you want to launch or like. Uh,
0: their brackets. Uh, so okay. you have an x. You have, have these excise brackets. So if you are sitting in this bracket, uh, this is your excise. If you go to this bracket, uh, your excise will change.
2: Okay, so you uh, can choose your price. The duty that you pay out so, varies. So
0: depending. so you yeah. So you have an x distillery price, which is your price, and then you fall into a certain bracket, and and that's where your excise will get slotted.
2: Okay. Okay. So, tell me about your journey. You, so, you reluctantly, uh, or you had some reservations when you joined Jaggi publicly listed company, 4,000 employees, struggling. Uh, what next?
0: Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, you said your asked what else went wrong? I think there were a bunch of things. We lost two very big uh, strongholds in the company just when I was entering also. And uh, you can't, uh, this was a, a, a manager who was actually a general manager uh, of the factory uh, vijay kapoor he was uh, basically looking after all of hamira which is where all our production everything took place and then there was mr banga who was the head of our sales uh glorious mr banga so uh, they both uh one went through cancer and eventually one was fired for integrity issues and the other one uh, and then he also got he got ill and he passed away but they both did eventually pass away but they both so there was a big void in the company also uh yeah, in a way your, your so,
2: sales head and your manufacturing head are both not there
0: yeah so he was okay. more than a manufacturing head he was uh, you could say by default uh, a ceo for all purposes okay Who was, uh, so what happened is that so you had this suction where both these people suddenly left uh, or were not there in the system. So if there was a problem, that problem now, uh, if we were already going down a hill, we were now rolling <laughs>
2: uh,
0: <laughs> uh, down that hill even faster because the void uh, was inconceivable to actually fill because you try filling uh, you know, positions when you are bleeding as a company and there are not many people... Of good caliber, who would choose to join you? Nobody. Yeah, wants to yeah everyone would them. know. Yeah.
2: yeah, they would know what's happening in the industry. Like people within the industry would know what's happening, and they would be reluctant correct, to join.
0: Correct, mm-hmm. correct, correct, okay. absolutely. So it was, it was very, it was. Those were very hard years. So there were a lot of things. There were things like this that were happening. There were things like, there were legacy issues. We had a lot of, you know people in our company and we didn't have production. Hamira was built as this uh, giant which was supposed to take care of production across India. It was built during that time with policy changes etc. Today you cannot produce in one state and then transport because you have import and export duty in every single state. So you have to actually manufacture or fill at least bottle in every single state. So you know our formulations go to each state and then you fill in those states uh, to avoid that. So you couldn't actually, Jagajit could not be used for what it was once created for. And it was was not just alcohol, right? That's one vertical. You also had the food division. Uh, So we had started with one factory and then there are four units of food division there, which was basically you were manufacturing. We were contract manufacturers for um, GSK producing boost. So okay. at that point in time, nineteen years, we were doing that as well. Uh, and boost is a malted.
2: I mean, yeah, because it's malted, a malted
0: drink for so, milk. So, yeah, so you, uh, you put Boost into milk, okay. and so it's for children and stuff. You know, uh, pro- protein, high energy, vitamins, etc.
2: So, and it made sense for Jagsi to do this because you're already dealing with malts for alcohol. Or?
0: So, so my grandfather had started this. We used to have uh, we used to have our own uh, products, Mortova and Viva. Okay. So he sold. Uh, I don't know the full whole story behind this all, but he sold Mortova to GSK, oh, and cool. I think part of the deal was that uh, that he contract manufacturer for them. Okay. So it was Mortova, it was Boost, it was all of that that it sort of played out. And so, you know, it started with one unit and our relationship became a 19-year relationship and then HUL uh, took it over and then it has continued with HUL, so uh, the manufacturing. But now there are, earlier it was one one factory, now there are four different units there. Uh, So that continues, so that vertical, plus we have country liquor. Uh, So we are the second largest, I would say, in the state of Punjab, so we also manufacture country liquor. Uh, this was another thing. Country all used to be all molasses based once upon a time, they we all went to yeah, grain right. based. So we took everything to grain, uh, to try to even, I think quality, regardless of what price segment you're in, you have to give quality. And so I think in the industry also generally moved in that direction of quality and giving grain. Even in country liquor, so that also happened
2: but why does uh, grain improve quality so molasses is sugarcane product and yeah
0: it is and it's also uh, there was also this whole thing of of pollution and the in terms of uh, how it also pollutes the environment much more okay okay
2: okay
0: uh, so the grain move was i think it was also i would have to say that it's also perhaps uh, somewhat psychologically driven by the British as well, or colonialism Mm -hmm. Uh, in our heads at that point in time, the notion that grain, 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 grain. But I mean, you know, India was always molasses molasses centric. I think we are reviving that today, uh, you know, where we are thinking that why should, what is wrong with molasses? You know, can we not do rums all made with molasses at the end of the day? Okay. So, you know, uh, let's, you know, go back into molasses because that's what we used to do. But, you know, so there was a shift and country liquor was, you know, is, is that other verticals for us as well. We also do, Jagajit also has commercial real estate. Um, and so, and then there's a the distillery, which you are selling ENA. So these are... What is ENA? ENA is um, extra neutral alcohol. So this is... Uh, base alcohol spirit that you use for yourself or you can sell to other sanitizers and like it yes it is used in sanitizers but it is also used across the alcohol industry right so okay. this is your base spirit to that that you have in a bottle before everything else goes on hmm. uh, to create uh, that formula or the blend I would say uh, so yeah so we have ENA as well uh, and, so, and now we're also doing ethanol so we have we have an investment of 200 crores that is going into an ethanol plant as capex uh,
2: ethanol is also a base spirit
0: it's also a base spirit but ethanol is obviously for fuel so okay. the difference between ena and ethanol is the number of columns that you okay. actually have uh, so what, what do you mean we by are
2: columns these, are, these
0: it's it's a bit bit technical but it's columns like so do you have certain number of columns that uh uh, the grade of quality for the spirit okay. Okay. that gives you a certain level of quality for the spirit. So, ethanol requires a certain quality. ENA, because it's used for alcohol, uh, is require a certain type of quality is required for that. So, for ethanol, it's for blending purposes with fuel because it's actually, uh, I guess, it really saves uh, the import bill. You can save, I think it's forty, fifty thousand 50,000 crores is anticipated, right? That you're saving from an import bill if you can blend now to end, but now 20% into, into, into petroleum. So, okay. so this, uh, this vision of Mr. Modi is, of course, you, you know, which is what else it it's, a, it's sustainability. It's great. But so we are, you know, we've got our licenses. We've got our environmental clearance. We've got our funding uh, from the banks recently just got, uh, so We are beginning, what, end of November? I think the the plant begins. It's a nine-month outline for us to actually build this plant out. And uh, from there on, uh, it literally jumps our revenue significantly again because on the back of this, you know, we get a very healthy bidder from day one. And uh, it gives a lot of cash flows to us. Mm. Uh, And, you know, you put about 400 crores on your top line. Uh, Wow. The first year of a full year of operation.
2: Amazing. So, uh, what was the top line when you joined, 2015? Roughly. I Uh, mean, I don't need an exact number.
0: I would... What was it? I think it was about 900,000 crores. Okay. I think about there. I know we, we went down to... So actually, if you look at the decline that sort of hit, so it was it was at, I think, 1,500. So I think when I came in, it hit 1,000. It was at that,
1: 1,230.
0: Mm. 12, 12, and then it continued sliding. And in 2018, when I had to shut the distillery down, a uh, massive hit uh, was a four, 350, 400-row hit we took, in terms of the top line, when that happened, so, so in US 2019 we were we were no we were uh, we were sitting at 250 crores. Wow! In 2019 we were at 250 crores when the restructuring took place and the turnaround which we were expecting with the restructuring and it was a very scary again very scary time because. It was like this was almost in 2018 it was almost over and at that point in time you know what i'd learned in my fnb business which was technically the franchise model i literally bought that into into jagajit because i said what is really important at this point and what's really important here is to really really save the brand so let's do these very small contracts uh, not long because i knew what that meant if we did long contracts with local players uh, find local players who have local strengths who can fund the business and pay us a royalty
2: okay so okay. It, uh, we did that
0: and that's how we funded our, our brand and our business so we also did a whole revamp of you know restructuring uh, you know you know a lot of our Uh, our our brands were looking tired, fatigued. We just re-energized the brands. We did new packaging, new labels. We did all of that 2018 and 19. And we were kind of ready and we started seeing a slight turn in 2020 and then COVID hit. And luckily in 2019, uh, because we had done a bunch of these things, I think we were able to also hire uh, the, the hiring. I had struggled with the hiring for three, four years. Uh, we had like a lot of change. So we had people joining, leaving, joining, leaving, because it was just not the people we needed. And then in, in 2019, we finally hired someone, I think a little, very strong with regards to, you know, strengths with uh, the factory. The same, a little bit more Vijay Kapoor strength in in the what we had lost, let me put it that way. And we were able to restart the distillery, oddly enough, in February. And I think nobody envisioned at that point, I actually, I had very bad uh, feeling that this was going to be very, very hard, but we started the distillery in in February and March, you know, literally six weeks later, it really, it exploded. Uh, So it was lucky, the timing of it was lucky. And then, you know, we did the sanitizers to keep the factories alive so that we could, you know, not a single worker, uh, did we cut salaries? Uh, You know, everyone was employed. Uh, but you know ENA you know alcohol was you know still being made but the whole idea of actually going into the sanitizer was like what if the factories get shut down how should we become how can we be necessary you know and Mm. it was to really become necessary at that point in time and so the sanitizer move was really there and the sanitizer opened up a whole whole other uh, avenue uh, for us because it was initially it was just regular sanitizer but it prop the question in my crazy entrepreneurial brain of why do i have to use this thing time and again time and again do i brush my teeth 20 times a day <laughs> do anything 20 times a day uh, so can i can i find a sanitizer that i can use once a day or maybe twice but you know and that technology then came from the USA and that company then became Swan Rose India which is a separate entity and that sanitizer became Just Human, the brand, Uh, uh, and that was the first 24-hour sanitizer uh, that again we launched in both countries. uh,
2: Before we come to Swan Rose's journey, so, here's my understanding of what you did at Jagji. So, from 2015 to 18 uh, or 19, it was essentially about cutting the bloat. Like, you joined a very bloated company and...
0: It was cutting uh, the bloat. It was okay. cutting the bloat. It was uh, it was trying to bring in processes. It was trying to bring in uh, technology. I <clears> am <throat> um, a very... Uh, I tend to be quite HR forward. Uh, there are people who are HR driven and then they are... People who are not. I tend to be HR driven, so I really hired one of my first hires was a, a very significant head of HR who had worked with earlier uh, at JSM. Uh, I brought him on board because I do I did believe that he would able he would be able to help me, uh, you know, really uh, build a team uh, to also sort of you know deal with what we called uh, you know just you know, the labor issues that we were having uh, in the factory with, you know, a lot of workers. You know, I think we try to, we put a lot of policies in place. We try to sort of, you know, and I think we've had, you know, much better relations. Uh, We've built much better relations, you know, constantly with our our workers. Uh, You know, we have town halls, which, you know, where we listen to them and we try to sort of, you know, because i mean at the end of the day if they're working for us you know it is our job also to try to help we can't if the wish list is 100 we can't take care of 100 things but can we at least take care of 30 things 40 things right so it's then some of those things are very, 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 very little. And it depends on, you know, what is the cost to the company, right? At the end of the day also. so. we have done a lot in terms of it. it, it workers was one side of it. Uh, blends was another side of it. You know, our blends were much more, much more expensive because they had a lot of, all our blends actually had imported uh, VMS, so, even our cheaper brands what what carry VMS? So, this is vatted malted spirits, right? It, you okay. know, you get it from Scotland, right? So, uh, it comes and it carries, you know, obviously a duty of 150%. Everybody buys okay. this. But uh, so, generally, when you have a 700, 800 rupee bottle, those have VMSs. Uh, 500 rupees might also, but at 100 rupees, 150 rupees, most brands across India will not have VMS. And our, we did. So we did have imported because we really, uh, you know, for us, our blends were very, very important. Quality was very, very important. So our our blends were also much more expensive. So we had, there was a lot of rationalization at, at different levels of the company. And sometimes we would just do something and something from our outside would come and hit us and storm all the work that we had done for that one year. And that was also happening, right? Give uh, me an example. It. Okay. Well, I mean, just the the, you know, the, you know so suddenly you know the industry shakes because of something like the demonetization shook the country right so it shook everybody now when we are you know struggling to come out at that point kkr of course supported us as i told you i think in our last call, so i was telling you kkr came in and you know they were amazing they supported us and they had no business to support us actually because we were so
2: kkr <laughs> is an american private equity fund uh... private
0: equity firm they came in in 2017 and i think they they believed. They believed. They believed in me. They believed in the story. They believed that, you know, I would stand there, come hello high water. And uh, I did. <laughs> uh, so, they wow. support us. They supported us. Uh, you know, the bank supported us. How,
2: how much uh, stake did KKR buy? And th- this was they like didn't a... buy. They,
0: this was debt. They gave us debt.
2: okay. They gave
0: us debt. Okay. So, it was, uh, you know, it was even harder in some strange way, right? Equity is still... Okay, but you don't they have actually not the give... pressure of repayment yes. with equity. Yeah, they gave us debt. They gave us debt. They they gave us debt. And, you know, it was incredible because through those years, uh, we, I mean, the the baggage, I think of, okay, you entered the company and now you're going to kill the company. Yeah. You will be that third and, generation.
2: I, I mean, like from the outside, <laughs> it must have seemed like you're driving it to the ground because you joined Absolutely. at 8, CR That's- and.
0: And, and it just went absolutely down. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it absolutely was. Uh, it was. And like, I mean, there's no other conversation that you can have, right? I mean, you know that you are. And here you are doing everything and yet you are not able to because you're not able to hire the right people. You're, not, you're struggling at every, every place and everywhere you're going. Uh, but, you know, through that whole journey, not a single payment was defaulted. Uh, nothing. Everything. Uh, you know, every creditor eventually got paid. Everybody got paid, everybody. And the bank loans, I mean, my God, I mean, the banks were like, you know, (laughs) they were the God. We were like, oh, good God, whatever you need to sell your underwear if you have to. But don't be late in a payment uh, that you want to make. So to, you know, people who've invested in you. So I think that also really stood by us very well because for the longest time, the banks did support us. <clears throat> but in 2018, the year that it all went very south, that's when the banks also, you know, our, our limits, our credit limits got pulled. Yeah,
2: 2018, the, the demonetization <coughs> would have caused... Hit, uh...
0: 2017 was demonetization.
2: Right, right? okay.
0: 2018, yeah. the bank pulled our limits. and uh, mm, uh, That's
2: why you had to shut the distillery.
0: Yes, cash flows went dry. Uh, and uh, And that's... Also, one of the reasons we went to the franchise model, so we tried to get our franchise partners to A, went to this royalty, but also to give us, so this is a thing that Hard Rock makes you do, is like you have to give them a deposit. OK. So what it actually did, uh, and some of them we were able to negotiate as rent uh, as interest-free. Mm-hmm. So Amazing. it gave Amazing. us cash flows. Mm. Not to maybe drive a distillery, but to survive.
2: You know, when your back is to the wall, is when you really come up with the most creative solutions. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, it feels creative today, but at that point, it was just, you know, it was a glimpse, and we didn't know even if that would work, right? It was just trying everything, but it was important to go there. And I, I just, I, but in my head, you know, I was seeing, then you would see the numbers, you look at everything, and but i believed we were going to we were going to turn and i think that's what i kept telling my team repeatedly i'm like it's going to happen we are going to survive we are going to survive we are going to get through this um and i think uh those of those that are still there remember that they said this and they, they come up and they say you know i if it was not i don't know how you guys how you did it because we used to come to your room and you know we would have all this and you'd be like you know optimistic and upbeat and Ah, entrepreneur (laughs) wow those are all entrepreneurial things i guess right so somewhere along that that sort of really aided me uh yeah were Uh, you
2: putting up a show of being optimistic or were you genuinely optimistic
0: i was genuinely optimistic and i and i think i would have been severely ill right if you bring it home also i'm also that person that cuts out right so i you know i mean like it is there but i come home and i'm I cut off so i'm not carrying uh oh my god you know it's very rare but i'll carry so much work in my head that mm. it's going to completely stress me out so i think if i had had if that was going on i would have probably dropped it somewhere in the middle <laughs> in those in those five years yeah but uh but no no I, I don't believe that was sort of sort of going on in my head so i think it just sort of sort of moved from there uh and that move also when, when COVID hit, it was, it was a difficult one because we didn't know whether we'd get through and we did. So, uh, you know, that early years with the sanitizer, with everything, and, you know, we started seeing spark and then when the markets, you know, we actually spoke in February, I mean, again, I think intuition, premonition, uh, I had uh, I had gone to the US in February. And suddenly there was a lot of COVID conversation. India was not having a COVID conversation. Yeah. So I had also become aware and I was reading, of course, uh, Lancelot and you were reading, you know, WHO, and you were reading a lot of this, right? I'm quite, I like science. So I read a lot about these sort of things. And so in February, early February, we started this really and had gone to the US as well. And I was like, okay, so this could actually happen to us. And and we started... uh, we reached out to all our franchise partners uh, and we actually asked them all to, we said, uh, we asked them to manufacture. We asked them to create, you know, fill the warehouses with finished goods. Uh, And they were very hesitant because uh, they didn't want to make those investments. and, And it took a lot for us to convince them uh, to really push out and do create finished goods because we said we didn't know i was pretty sure we like factories don't know when if they would get closed you don't have finished goods we don't even know if the warehouse would be closed and you could think but i think at least keep finished goods let's keep finished goods i think it really served us well also because those finished goods when we came out of the lockdown and suddenly the shops were all dry uh yeah, if you no would inventory like yeah so it's the people who had the inventory that were able to throw it into the stores that people who were buying then wanted the alcohol and then it created trials for us uh, very cheap trials and actually our blend is very good and you had new packaging that complemented that and the trials took place and repeatedly, and that kind of I think also created a churn for us, in in some way where we were able to uh, get uh, you know consumers on board, a lot of consumers on board. Uh, so there, I mean, there, there are certain things that sort of you know that that created those kind of things, but I mean, my God, and then COVID, of course. Uh, You know, we didn't think that, but we grew 62% in that year. We reversed close to to 50 crores of losses that year in 2020. And we broke even. This was Um,
2: on the back of just that one decision to have inventory?
0: No, it was on the back of a number of decisions. I think it was everything that happened 2018-19 that helped us survive. Okay, better blends, better packaging. Better um... blend, better packaging, starting the distillery. Uh, distillery was a huge driver uh, of of everything that happened. Uh,
2: and the distillery is essentially providing the the input to other. Uh, uh, yeah, it was
0: providing input to other bottlers. It was providing input to, uh, to other other companies, and also to, you know, to yourself, and of course, and your to, franchises, and, and franchises, and sanitizers, and 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 other people. Not even your own franchises, other people. Because people don't buy E N A in Punjab to take to you know Andhra, Andhra for example, they will buy E N A around there, right? So you sell to your vicinity. They buy E N A in their vicinity because you don't want to transport it, right? Okay, Uh,
2: got it. uh,
0: So, so it's pretty much we sell to we would sell to people in and around our circle, Chandigarh, Delhi, you know, in that zone. Punjab will sell to them, will not sell to, to, to the south.
2: Uh, Unless there's the, an
0: absolute need.
2: <laughs> okay. Um, so, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit on how the franchising model works. Who who does sales then? Like, do they hire sales is, is there such a thing as sales? Like, you know, FMCG has like a large sales team where these area sales managers are responsible for their territories. <clears throat> yeah, it
0: there is. there is. Alcohol? Yeah, absolutely. There is absolutely. There are sales teams so uh, this is all part of negotiation with the franchisee whether it is yours or their sales team uh, sometime more often than not it tends to be a blend so the team tend to be you know a couple of people from your team and then uh, a couple of people from their team for every state uh, always tends to be a blend uh, but yes uh, sales is an important part and uh, sales teams in alcohol in the alcohol in- industry tend to be huge one of the more nightmarish things about uh, this industry is that you don't have real-time data actually uh, in sales so you have excise data which comes at the end of the month uh, which is available to you
2: and uh, excise data yeah. tells you what that this stuff was moved from a warehouse to Correct. the uh, retail
0: to the retail level etc exactly and then basis so the, your first buyer is actually uh,
2: the your first buyer
0: is the retailer and then your second buyer is actually the consumer okay so you have to first be able to get it on the shelf uh, but i think that's true actually of even fmcg right you're you're getting it on the shelf mm-hmm. and so it's that shelf space uh, and then how, what is driving that shelf space is obviously a certain amount of you know uh, value that you're bringing and the consumer is asking for your brand and then they want it and so on so
2: and your sales team also can influence that. I guess that's what the sales team does, like going to retailers, influencing Absolutely.
0: Them so encouraging them to buy your brand and then order it. And then you the brand comes from you know the excise depot. It depends what the regulation is in that particular state. It comes to the retailer and then from there. So we have that number from the excise, right? We know that uh, a thousand cases went to such and such or five shops or 10 shops or whatever, right? Then uh, we don't know at what point the consumer bought that, right? but we do know that the second cycle of ordering. So there's this data of actually getting real time data, uh, something that we actually tried to do, which was a thought, but we never really proceeded with it, which was to actually create an app to be able to do this. But, you know, again, regulated industry, so I think the the best person to actually do something like this would be the government in itself. Uh, so that, you know, we could actually get real time data when I mean, you know, for example, that, you know, some you know, shop number 50 in Rajasthan is uh, it's looking like it's only got two units of your product. And you know that there's a potential stock out. So as a company, we are now counting on the retailer to to go and make that call. As opposed to as a company, if you could also have that information, uh, then you can you can you can act on it. And we had sort of thought of you know it's easy technology actually. It's very yeah. easy to do. Very easy to do. Uh, through you just digitalization
2: need integration with the point of sale software correct
0: exactly and very easy and to do
2: uh, i'm assuming uh, everything which is sold uh, at the retail level the government has that data right because the retailer would also be paying some duty or something correct. when he correct.
0: sells correct so, so absolutely so that, yeah so it goes the, the, there's that whole yeah
2: okay but just some way to make that available to you is what is the the missing loop here okay
0: yeah. yes yes so so we don't we get data on a 30-day basis right so you get it and so you you don't really get technically you don't you don't really have consumer data like that yeah because your consumer is that guy but unless you are able to reach him uh because you know so you have a notion that this is the person you can stand outside that line when and, and you know but that, that, that consumer who is that person it's not digital it's not so the targeted consumer you do consumer research and you know who that consumer is who's drinking you and you're creating it but that real direct link is is somewhat missing
2: uh, now opportunity for a startup <laughs> to actually collect that data at retail uh, and
0: it's, it's, it's sell it. such a such a difficult industry that uh, yeah. i i you know it's just Sometimes you just say, not worth the trouble, right? You're like, oh my God, let someone else do this. Yeah,
2: uh, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, uh,
2: what else do you have to do to drive sales? One is, of course, uh, the product has to be good enough. Uh, second is, you have your sales team which is encouraging retailers. Uh, what else uh, does an alcohol uh, width, company width
0: do? Of distribution. Width of distribution is critical, obviously. Uh, you what need does to that mean? be that like, means like uh, so like uh, districts uh, some places have districts some people have you know uh, you know localities so you if you if there are 500 stores width of distribution is being all 500 of them uh, okay. that would be the first thing because if you are uh, what is seen sells. <laughs>
2: right. Yeah. That,
0: exactly that's that famous thing right so you need to have width of distribution is one of the most critical factors once you have and you have shelf space width of distribution not under the shelf but visible you know so if you've got that that's your first thing like then the second thing is of course other incentives in terms of you know advertising so earlier surrogate advertising was a big player here right you could at least uh, do surrogate advertising but now you can't even do that anymore uh, that's oh, really? Also been blocked, right? Yeah. Oh, so
2: like you, you Fisher soda and all like like that's not allowed now?
0: So so you can do it if there's a genuine surrogate okay. that exists. But I think the the so the genuine surrogate means I think I'm not I mean I could be wrong here, but I think the figure today is that you have to have sold at least five crores in revenue from okay. that you know so it's not that just product. like you know i've oh, used okay. a cd or like you know cds are yeah, very like
2: common bacardi music yeah <laughs> absolutely
0: so those those things are very very common at, at a certain point in time which have sort of you know all.
2: yeah who buys cds yeah
0: <laughs> correct yeah. who buys cds yeah. but like water soda all of those things could be mm. part okay. of everything so
2: so th- then how do you market then? Like, uh, can you do, uh, do like parties or like events so or it's what? A, like?
0: so it's a very, you no, know, because even that is actually uh, come a, comes under scrutiny, right? So it's a very media dark industry. So it's a very difficult industry to launch something in. How do you communicate whether you have a whiskey or a vodka or a gin? It's very limited mediums. And I also think it's technically wrong. Um, I mean, just like any other industry, you know, it is, it's you know it drives you know it's creating employment it's doing a whole bunch of things so yes you want to keep it protected well have you know ads after 10 p.m. you know uh, you know like a lot of lot of countries in the world sen- sensitized information only appears after 10 p.m. after kids are asleep mm-hmm. right so. There are ways of doing this. So I'm, I'm very uh, sorry. I'm not really. I'm, I'm quite I'm very against the fact that we are not allowed to actually advertise. I think we should be allowed to advertise. And
2: uh, I guess and, with digital advertising, uh, you I mean, the the YouTube and the Facebook algorithms are smart enough to show the ads only to adults.
0: Yeah. Well, you're not allowed to, right? Even there, you're not allowed to actually. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so technically, you know, per se. Yeah, you can sort of flaunt it here there, but I mean, you know, you're not really allowed to do any of this. Uh, You're not supposed to be on YouTube. You're not supposed to be on any of these mediums. Uh, So, uh, your website is your medium.
2: (laughs) Ah, okay. But these MNCs (laughs) like, you know, Pernod Ricard and all selling Bacardi and I'm sure they have big marketing budgets. What do they spend it on?
0: Well, they used to spend it on advertising. Uh, they spend it on promotions. Uh, so, their are sales promotions, you know. Which is
2: like at the point of sale.
0: At the point like of sale, at, exactly. At the retailer. So, display at retail, you can put hoardings, boards. So, all of those, like, you know,
2: okay. uh, it's creating
0: all of that. So, there's a lot of, they can spend a lot of money there. And remember, this has become harder and harder in the last, I would say, three, four years Uh, earlier at least you were still allowed to do surrogate you were doing surrogate most companies were it's become very very hard in the last four years I would say so now surrogates have also sort of gone wayside some new consumer act has come out so it's just become uh, kind of crazy but yeah I mean you could do it otherwise but today you can't even do that so what's the point so it doesn't make sense You know, for me to say something, I have to now go and invest. So unless I now create another brand of, let's say, uh, ACP Water, now start physically selling that ACP Water.
2: And hit five crores of sales. Yeah. So
0: first, let me drive it to that number. Right. So it takes me a year maybe to drive it to that number. And then I start doing that. Then I can sort of say ACP Water.
1: Yeah, right? well. and
0: and and then let me also be in a look like bottle, technically, to
1: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the association,
0: which is yeah. all very difficult, right? It's all very hard. To it sounds ridiculous. So, I just think that some of this is a bit nonsensical. It just you know let people advertise, let it do it at a certain point of time. Eventually, we are an adult nation. Uh, yes, we have there are kids in the nation, but you know, like everywhere else, right?
2: It's... But you have to admit that. Uh... You as a company exist because of this. Uh, there is value in the aristocrat brand because it is not easy to launch new brands. There uh, is that um, existing um, brand awareness of aristocrat because of which, uh, so, despite everything, the brands had value and hence you got the KKR loan also. And I, I'm assuming that yeah, would have played a big part. Yeah,
0: I, I absolutely think so. I think that we have a huge heritage. We have a heritage from... Uh, you know, we have a royal heritage from Maharaja Jagajit Singh from Kapoor Sala. That's why it was Ooh. called Jagajit Industry. Okay. And that's why the first brand was called Aristocrat. Uh, uh, so we have yeah. a massive heritage going back to, to royalty actually. Unlike any other industry, any other alcohol company in India, there's a lot of royal heritage that we have. But there are very few pan-India companies. Yes, Akshay. So to speak, there are five pan-India companies. It's a very difficult industry. There are what we would call tons of barriers to entry Uh, and therefore to date, I think even though I talked about even Tilak Nagar, for example, I said very huge, huge market in terms of volume, but South driven. It will not, so Jagajit still sits as one of the top five companies uh, in the, in the country, which is a pan India company. We exist in 19 States.
2: Yeah, top five uh, among Indians or top five overall, like top five?
0: Overall. we are. not. A, I'm not talking about volume driving. I'm talking about just from pan-India presence. There are okay. only five companies and we are in the top five. Okay. There is only five and that's it. So, there are hundreds of other companies, but they are not pan-India. There will be two states, three states, four states, X. And more recently, of course, with the advent of craft and this love for alcohol and this premiumization, which has been fantastic. So you have a lot of brands coming into the market uh, at the premium segment because that's the, as I said, that, der- that, that draws passion when you come there. So when you're doing the mass segment, it's a, it a, requires a different kind of, uh, you know, instinct. And uh, this was another problem that I had when I actually joined, right? Because my instinct was not in this mass segment which yeah. I had already realized. Right, right. <laughs> my instinct was yeah. actually sitting at a different segment. So it is my vision to actually drive this to, uh, and we've now driven it to premiumization. In over the last three years, we've grown every year 20, 30%. So we've gone from 2019, $25 million in revenue to 75 million this year uh, on target for 100 million next year. And then wow. our jumps become much greater starting from next year because the ethanol plant comes in. And as I said, these revenues that are sitting with our franchise, actually, there are revenues. So we today are, a, we ended this year, we, we are going to end this year at 750 crores.
2: Wow. Okay.
0: Uh, so when you look at the 750 crores, and if you look at the revenues that our franchise partners have of Jagajit, is another 700 crores.
2: Okay, so you've crossed uh, the peak revenue in a way uh, with Jagicheet had pre-you joining.
0: We've crossed it, yes. Absolutely, we've crossed it. So now the thing is, can we now bring these, uh, eventually bring some of this back to us, right? Like, can we bring these franchise partners uh, and start taking back our states as our cash flows improve? So what happens is that if a state has done 200 crores in revenue, that 200 crores literally, when you take the state back, you bring that right back into your top your line, books. which is yeah. not reflecting on your top line today. So right. it's a unlike any other instance of any other company. Our growth uh, for the next four years, five years, uh, we will become a four thousand crore company wow. in the next in the next three to four four years, I would say, and right. it will happen very fast. Simply because all of this coming back to us, the ethanol plant, all of these measures. Uh, and the fact that we are premiumizing so there's another big big premiumization uh, bent also you know royal pride uh you know against blender's pride this we had done a market test for two years in with it we've now launched it it's at, at that at that level ac black has come in against royal stag whiskey uh we have a nascent uh you know uh, Scotch-level whiskey, uh, blended scotch, which is called Damn Good Scotch, which is uh, against 100 Pipers and Teachers. That yes. launches next year. It's already been you know tested in markets. So we have a lot of this premiumization happening uh, across next year, uh, which will already, some of it has already started. Some of it is going to come in next year uh but the turn has happened you know and suddenly you know i mean for the first two years i don't believe the stock market or investors actually supported us because i think they wanted to really see where the where is the story actually going you know is this actually a true turnaround is it not uh but this year if you look at it you know i think our share price uh, the stock market has started supporting us investors have started supporting us our share price has, i think jumped 150 percent.
2: well what is the price uh, today
0: uh, today, I think, I know I mean, two, three days not, ago it was about 150, 150, okay. 150, So we are sort of at and, the cusp of…
2: When you were at your lowest point, what was it then? Like when you had to shut down the distillery and…
0: I think it was 30, 30 rupees,
2: 32, wow. 33. Yeah.
0: Okay, so 5x. That's massive. Already. Yeah, this has done a crazy jump over this last 12 months, so it's just gone bonkers. And I I, I think, you know, with everything that's going on, uh, you know, the news came out of the ethanol plant and we were at 130 and it went to 155, 160. And I think historically it's never done over that. Right. So it's suddenly now crossing over where it would ever have been. And I think in the next two, three years, uh, as every year, I think you're going to see a significant jump because significant improvement going and I think now the story has become three years in is is fully believable that this company has done a massive turnaround, and I think everybody and everybody had just completely written us off. So uh, it's been uh, it's been an unbelievable uh, learning, remarkable journey, uh, and I think uh, good to go from here on set path. And three months ago. I resigned as corporate restructuring officer because I was like, okay, my lot of my job, which I was here for, is now done. And I, now it's already set on a track. So, of course, so I'm the you, promoter. You, you
2: never took on like, the CEO role?
0: No, I never did. I never your,
2: did. Your father was the CEO or like...
0: No, my father was not the CEO. It was a bit of a void because uh, I was by default playing somewhat that role, but I wasn't playing that role because I was not... I mean, I know what where my skill set was as well. It was not that of a CEO, right? So I never wanted to really take on that role. So I was playing the role of a corporate restructuring officer, which is what my role was. But maybe by default, I was playing that role because there was no one sitting in that seat. Right. So my father... Uh, and good God, gracious, uh, incredible, amazing, amazing man, because I don't know how many people actually do this. When I sat down with him, you know, in 2015, I said to him, I said, you know, you, I cannot work with you, with you calling half the shots and, you know, questioning me. So either you helm it to me and I will live, do and die with it, however it goes in whichever direction, the accountability responsibility is mine, or then I don't take it. And hats off to him, he did. So he completely backed off. Did I not walk into his room through these very deep dark days? Yes. And I think I think there was a lot of, uh, and I think that he also in that sense, I think there was a lot of support from him in that sense that he was like, you know, you know, it'll be okay, it, you know. It was that sort of, you know, oh, my God, like, what the hell have you done? <laughs> no, no. But, but you know, it will be okay. You know, yeah. it, it's going to be okay. Because a lot of the bigger decisions, I would always go and say, what do you think? I'm doing this. You know, I mean, like, walking out of Kerala as a market, for me, was like, oh, 700,000 cases. But every case I sell, I lose 20 rupees. So, in a, in a company that's already bleeding, and I've got, you know, 40 crores of losses, Should I increase that by a further 10 crores because I want to exist in Kerala as a state? And I had to pull myself out of there. And Uh, the reason
2: for the loss was because you were not bottling in Kerala?
0: No, the reason for the loss was that uh, Kerala government had not given a price increase for five years. And okay. the government has the choice, right? They choose not to give price increases. So, you know, as you know, and this is even more prevalent in the last couple of years, you look at the commodity prices across everything, glass, cardboard boxes, everything, you know, everything is going through the roof. But if you don't get price increases there, if you're in this regular deluxe, et cetera, segment, your contribution margin is tiny. And so what is happening is you're getting complete erosion uh, of that margin as you go on. Uh, so.
2: You I, I want kind of understand. You said you can choose your price, right? Uh, you, and whatever price you choose, you pay excise duty accordingly. But, but now is, you're saying that the Kerala government sets the price for you?
0: So, so, for example, if I'm sitting in the segment of that 100 rupees for the 180 ml. Mm-hmm. Um, so, they give you a price increase based on your EDP. So, that price increase... Uh, Comes, for example, in every segment, they'll say, we are taking this segment up by giving the 10 rupees or 20 rupees or 50 rupees. That translates to 10 rupees or 20 rupees to the consumer. But that margin changes, right? So, <clears throat> yeah, every What, what two, is
2: the... Uh, w- the excise slab is increased is that what you're saying or the price at which uh, i believe distribution the slab, is the, control, so but, so the uh,
0: the yeah the, the price increases in that slab for you right okay. so so okay. the consumer is instead of paying 100 rupees maybe paying 110 rupees
2: so once you're selling at a specific price you can't increase the price on your own uh, the government tells you when you can increase the price
0: well you could choose to move to the next segment but then you lose your consumer
2: okay 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 because your excise duty will go up so moving to the next segment would mean a significant jump up in the right. price and
0: your volume absolutely absolutely changed. and you take, basically have to follow also industry right so if you are in a certain segment you are your competitors are sitting in that segment so you're watching your competitors right and now these are healthy competitors you are not a healthy competitor at this point because you are struggling so they are sitting there you're not you're dying sitting over there but if you move up you've lost your market
2: Right, right, right. So the only way to increase prices when the government says, okay, this slab for this excise duty is now instead of up to 100, it's up to 110. And therefore, you're also able to increase your price. Yeah, so it
0: it, it, it sort of moves. So the government dictates that price increase and gives it to you, uh, you know, at various various times. And they have different, by the way, every state has a different mechanic. Because like I said, (laughs) every state is a very different how they work, right? So uh, it just completely depends on the state. But it is largely controlled, so it 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 was those kind of decisions. I am walking into his room and I'm saying, you know i'm you know what do you think you know do you think we should continue because i I think we can't and he's like, no, you're right, you can't you have to pull out right so he he's understanding and he's 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 sort of he agrees with the decision, but you know so I think at somewhere along he knew that you know what I was doing was right perhaps in every way but there were lots of gaps. So there was a cash gap, which we got some of it, but then a lot of other things happened. And then there was a team gap.
2: How did you uh, fill the cash gap? Uh, like you went and approached KKR or uh, like, was that an inbound? Yeah,
0: I did. I did. I did. I approached KKR and I think, uh, you know, Sanjay and, and Tashwinder both, you know, really believed the story and they came on board. Um, and, you know, it was it was quite fast, the whole thing, how it happened. Uh, you know we at one point went you know we had Inderson who came on board so you know our loan went to Inderson. we never did a corporate restructure so no bank ever got you know uh, cut in size in you know in their debt or we just nobody you know,
2: had to write off anything write
0: off anything nothing nothing none yeah. of that happened so it was actually just the restructuring was well internal Everything
2: just, was uh, You know, I, I want to kind of understand what is the difference between a private equity debt versus a bank debt? Like, why couldn't you have just gone to more banks for debt? Why did you go to private equity for debt? What was the fundamental difference?
0: No, a bank may bank would not have given it to us.
2: Okay. So, when, when you're not at bank grade, then you go to private <laughs> equity and you probably pay more. Uh,
0: yeah, you're, you're paying more. Yeah. But I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I think it's just the banks would never have given it to us. Uh, Private equity uh, is
2: more willing to embrace risk. Uh, Yeah, I think they are more more willing to embrace
0: risk. Yeah,
2: More skin, yes,
0: exactly, and and then they take a higher higher percentage for that as well. But they are more, and at that point also, our bankers were, um, we had state bankers, Uh, so we had you know Punjab National Bank, Canara Bank. Uh those are the banks and Canra was actually the one that initially was it Canra was it Punjab? I think Canra pulled our limits first. And then it kind of left to a cascading effect to the others. And uh, they must
2: have had some mandates that they can't <laughs> give a limit yeah, beyond a certain amount to ab- a loss making company and
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think mm-hmm. and I mean I, I mean I don't I don't blame them. I mean I don't I don't blame anyone. I think, you know, from an outside picture when people are looking in. I mean we knew what we were doing inside to, you know, fix things, but I think everybody, even sometimes, you know, I may have been extremely optimistic and I said, you know, just bend your head, keep going, keep going, keep going. Um,
2: Was it like your fundamental nature to be optimistic or could you see something which others couldn't?
0: I, I, to me, the world is, uh, the glass is half full. Um... Uh, I think that comes from, you know, I don't know. I mean, so I think everyone can look at the glass as half empty, right? But, I mean, there is, and I think that is maybe a certain amount of grace, I consider, uh, you know, that we've all been blessed. So the glass is half full. And I think it's very negative to think of it as half empty. So for me, I, I am born an optimist, but I do see, I'm not optimist and I'm not unrealistic. So if there is a lion standing in front of me, I am not going to run into that lion. Uh, (laughs) That is not going to happen. Uh, I'm very objective as well. But, you know, I did see, I mean, for me, the glory of the heritage of the brand and what it was. And there was significant that, improvements that we could do and i think that's what we've done so even like if you look at our sales we have we are roughly growing a million cases every year uh, you know wow. since 2020 it's just been that jump right and i think uh, my salesperson probably hates me but i keep putting pressure i'm like go to two million cases a year because you can do it right you know? he's like you know you've got to be crazy but i said no we can we can actually because you know here we are sort of jumping in one of our prime markets to perhaps look at was Assam as a market it was an incredible market we were out of the market for five years we went into it i think in 21 yes i think in 21 it was and we started from zero it's probably never happened, I think, for most people and most companies. We went from zero to sixty thousand cases a month in one year. So wow. five thousand, ten thousand, fifteen, like literally jumping, 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 and huge jumps every month. And so there are certain states and we said what are the lessons here
1: uh,
0: that we can learn from this? Because God is an amazing model. Uh so so can we sort of take this model and now replicate this model? And I think we're trying to I don't know if it's successful or not, but we're trying to actually replicate that model in another state of ours. What are the Uh,
2: lessons there? Like what caused that passive growth?
0: So I think it was a lot of it was also a team, the strength of the actual sales team. uh, It was a partial COVID. So a lot of teams were not going out. This team was actively going out and and selling. Uh, It was the width of distribution which I talked about, it right. was the placement and it was the the team going there, making sure that that visibility in the shop is there. Like, you know, you put something there and you walk away and you don't go there for three weeks. That's not what they were doing. So they were right. going back, making sure that, because the poster's life cycle is what? It's three days.
2: Yeah, three yeah, days, yeah. Right?
0: Right? Yeah, right. That's what the shop poster is. Right. So you've got to build all of these life cycles, and and they were very strong in terms of what they were doing. Of course, there was there was certain marketing support that even our franchise partner was giving them, uh, beyond beyond their sales uh, schemes and things to to retailers. But you know, a lot of that actually really really helped. So we we've have got. I mean, my 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 head of sales has got like a list of about twenty items. That he scripted in far more detail, and uh, that's so, uh, it. Uh, essentially, reaction. like
2: yeah. operational excellence is what absolutely
0: drives.
2: You just have to consistently do the boring things every day.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and you you need the the team to be able to do it. So, right when you are, I mean, how do you make sure that that guy because you're sitting in a corporate head office, or you're sitting in Punjab, or wherever you're sitting, right? We're sitting in Rajasthan or Telangana, and that sales manager is there. Uh, is actually driving the team uh, and getting it done. So, I mean, I know like these days now they have, um, you know, Salesforce has that app, uh, geographic mapping, because how do you know he's gone to, he's saying I'm making these visits as part of his route. How do you know he's actually doing the visits? Right. Right, because he's not actually selling something at that. Time. All he's doing is going and having conversation and seeing that everything is the way it needs to be, Right. Most of it is not a sale thing that day. So, so how do you know that? So it's it's, it's seeing all of that, um, that sort of went on. But uh, yeah, but I mean, I think the, the Jagajit for at least, you know, uh, thank God it's it's done. And uh, I, can, uh, I can live another day and say, okay, I was not that generation. <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> I, I, I want to ask you one more. Like, do you typically base your decisions on gut or on data? Like, how do you decide?
0: Uh, So let me let me say that. uh, So I love data. I am a huge fan of data. I love technology. Uh, But data is not always uh, available. And so, for example,
2: Like you're in a data dark industry. uh,
0: I am in mean, sorry, I wouldn't say data dark, but it's data delayed, latent, everything is latent over there, right? Okay. But if I, so if I look at the startup world or, or, or Swan Swanrose, where, you know, the clean beauty, I mean, we don't get, we get data because we are on e-commerce. So we're getting data pretty pretty quickly and fast, right?
2: Almost but real
0: time. Almost real time. You're getting that. So that, that's the biggest con- contrast and comparison that we have, right? We get it over there very, very quickly. So oh, a lot of our decisions are based on that. But, you know, there is something what I call emergent, it's called emergent strategy. Like, you know, we may have a strategy, but there's instinct and data that uh, that have to work together sometime. Uh, I will never contradict data, but sometimes uh, if data is flawed or not visible or you don't trust the data, the instinct is definitely playing out. Because again, there is something about data. We all use this lovely word data, but, you know, who is analyzing that data? What is that data? who's collecting that data, you know, all of these things, uh, credibility or hy- hygiene of data hygiene, you know, what is that? I mean, all of those things matter and we see this happen time and again, you know. So one has to be very, very, you know, uh, conscious of, of what you're actually doing with the data. So I think it, it plays off both. But I would say that generally in life, my instincts, that's what I think for me have been uh, been pretty solid. Uh, if I, and I do lean into them, you know, in business, we look at data, but a lot of my decisions will come from just pure instinct. I think the instinct of COVID, the instinct of sanitizer, uh, all of that was instinct. That was driven yeah. by yeah, instinct. You, had,
2: you had no data about COVID coming. I had about no data. I had no data there. Absolutely. Yeah, so, pure gut.
0: That was pure gut, right? And, but, but the, the story for me was past pandemic. Uh, when when countries go into war, past pandemic, what and which other country, which the industry that survives, you know, those that build warships, those that build uniforms or, you know, catering to something else. Right? So there's a, a thought with that, right? So if you want to call that data, then that's historical data that's played into what I would call instinct. So Uh-oh. was it pure instinct? Possibly not, because it came from something that I had obviously read, learned at a, at a time in my life, which I used. Uh, and so I think that that's what it is. But I don't think, you know, I think that's, that's information. I think most data is coming from that. But, uh, you know, Just Human became Swan Rose Inc. And that became the sanitizer. And it was great whilst it happened for that one year. But eventually, you know, even with the startup, we were like, you know. So the, the sanitizer
2: not, was called Just Human, uh, the 24-hour The hour sanitizer was called Just
0: Human. Yeah, okay. and the name actually came well,
2: from... One last that. question about Jagjit. Uh, so, uh, you resigned. Uh, who's running the ship now? You, you have a, like a CEO? Or? So I,
0: I mean, I mean, we, we took on a CEO anyway in 2019. As I said to you, we were able to bring in, you know, teams that we were able to really build. So, it was not just one person. We brought in about four, five people between 2019 and 20, about five, six people that were really able to helm different parts of it. And uh, from there on, you know, it's been sort of you know, going. So I've been working with him, but every year I've taken one step backwards because I felt more comfortable with the role being played out uh, the right way. So I know where today I can give input and where I don't need to give input. And operationally, uh, I have done X number of years there and I'm like, okay, so this is, it feels solid, like he's there, uh, you know, Today, we are looking, for example, succession planning is happening today, you know, in terms of the organization, we're looking at different things, like, you know, what can we do with a single mall? So I'll play those roles at different levels, but I won't play it on an operational level. I do literally a once a week meeting to just sort of 90 minute meeting. Uh, There's there's another thing that, you know, we've, 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 we've basically uh, implemented in Jagajit It's called the Entrepreneurial Operating System, EOS. And uh, it's very sort of and very sort of uh, prioritization goals, company goals, individual goals, metrics, uh, measured every week. Because if you, uh, again, some these are things that we never did. Like you don't measure it, you don't know uh, what you've achieved or what you haven't achieved. And so a lot of these, these things which we put in uh, now, so I attend that one meeting, that 90 minute, which gives me uh, a, a look at you know, exactly what is happening. And beyond that, I really don't need to do too much. I'm like maybe participating half an hour, if at all, 40 minutes a day on Jagajit today. Uh, The rest of my times, my next 12, 13, 14 hours, actually, I would say for the last year has been Swan Rose because it's also six products in uh, personal care, Significant amount of products. Uh, yeah.
2: So, uh, t- t- tell me about this one, Rose Jenny. So, you started with Just Human as a sanitizer. Uh, how, how did yeah. that? And th- you said you launched in the US also.
0: We did. Uh, we launched because actually the technology came from the United States. So, okay. um, uh, the antimicrobial coating technology was US-based, and so. We you know. Were you exporting
2: business. from India, or was it? That no, you had a local no, no, partner, no,
0: no, no, like no, 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 no. We contract. were, we were, we were manufacturing in the US. You so set up did, your own
2: manufacturing. Yeah,
0: we we did it during COVID. We did uh, everything was virtual. So we found a third-party manufacturer. Okay. We sent our formulation to them. We sent bottles from China. We did the whole mapping of this uh, all virtually. Uh, during COVID. And we started in India, it was alcohol based in the US. uh, We wanted to do non alcohol based in India, cost was too high. We also didn't know whether people would, you know, believe it at all. Uh, So we said, let's just take it to, so we did the the non alcohol version in the US and we did both countries, Amazon and our website. Uh, But as we were doing this, we, you know, the, the, the thought was also there, right? You know, COVID was, it was a response to that. But the the entrepreneur second or the spirit had come back alive again of being or wanting to be an entrepreneur and I was like well do I really just want to be you know doing is it sanitizer my my game or what is it and I had had uh, a massive autoimmune disease uh, which I'd experienced which you know had sort of affected my hair and my skin and and you know, lot of learnings that came from there or what i experienced at that time was that why and the gap in the market that i saw was that um if i want a, a product that is effective and i'm a woman over 40 and i'm not dissing any brands here i go to a department store really really expensive brands i look at 40 ingredients on them two of them will be dirty so why do i have to put this dirty product on my skin because i think we were very conscious about what we eat and what that does outside what we forget is that the skin is the largest organ and everything that we put on it is also having a conversation, uh, and going inside and, uh, became very, very sort of mindful of that. And we said, well, can we not create clean products? And then when we go to organic vegan products, if you're an older woman, God bless you because you'll be waiting months and see nothing happen. So we looked at the California prop 65 list and we said, let's, Look at this list at our holy grail, and everything on that list nine hundred banned. What items. is this
2: California Prop sixty five list? So
0: it's a very exhaustive list of dirty ingredient, toxic ingredients in the industry. Okay. Uh, it in is the much, beauty industry in the beauty personal care industry. It is much okay. greater than the U.S. FDA list. Okay. Uh, I think the are testing ten items or twenty items. This has got nine hundred items. Right.
1: It's oh wow! A
0: whole other ball game. Uh, so we looked at that list and we said we will look at this list and we will not have any of these ingredients in anything but we will not just be a vegan natural we will do synthetic but it will be clean why because my target market is uh, women like myself who are over the age of 40 but who want to see improvements in their skin you know in their tone and they're dealing with the biggest changes in their life during so we said why is it that nobody's actually addressed this with a clean beauty by actually combining this. And then we said was one whole element of it, which was uh, interesting, was that, uh, again, something that happened during my autoimmune is you stand in front of the mirror and you see yourself. And, you know, today you look hot and sexy and five days later in the same clothes, you look at yourself in the mirror and you feel like crap. And it's nothing other than something that's gone wrong in your head. Right. So we said, how strange is it that people Nobody touched the emotive part of beauty. Uh, and this is if you don't feel good, how the hell are you going to look good? Uh, and that became the white space that we found. And we said, let's go after this. So the science became the science of neurocosmetics. Uh, again, uh, we searched everywhere and we found this and we thought it was very powerful because, again, very nascent stage in the industry uh, neurocosmetics, the science of neurocosmetics is the skin-brain communication. Everything that you put on your skin has a conversation with your brain. What is that conversation Is it that it's having? Is it a positive or is it a negative conversation? And how can we drive that conversation further? Because if we are saying that you can put something on your skin and it's talking to your brain, can we put something into your serum or cream or, or product that will make you feel better. So let's make you look better if you want to, but let's also make you feel better simultaneously. Uh, and and sort of bringing those two facets together.
2: Uh, um, I guess like uh, a body shop would be like an accidental neurocosmetic company. I mean, because there is so much of fragrance uh, in their products, which definitely does uh, create fans out of users. I mean, it's not so- like... Intentional, but.
1: Uh.
0: So I think it's a, They source ethically, they are, you know, they go to all these countries in the world and they source, but very different to us, right? Uh, I don't know how clean, I have not gone and looked behind Body Shop's ingredients actually, uh, but I don't know how clean, genuinely clean, uh, all the ingredients are. Uh, for us, uh, so there are two aspects to this, right? Uh, so the neurocosmetics, the science is. It's not just, uh, so it's everything sensorial. That's one side of it. That's the softer side of the science. The science science side of it is the actives, the peptides, um, you know, that, neuro, that sort of link to neurotransmitters. And that's the conversation that happens in the brain, right? The peptide is a, a prote- chain of protein or amino acid, the building blocks that create collagen or elastin in your skin. So... Uh, when you put, you know, peptides for a 30-year-old, you know, in a cream or a 35-year-old to what I will put for someone who's 45 or 50 will be completely different. It'll be a much stronger peptide because I know that woman at that age versus that age needs a very different potency to give her or drive results because our whole claim is that we don't want to, we believe every day matters. Uh, and, you know, looking and feeling good is, should be something that you experience every single day. So it's about empowerment. And to do that, you can't be waiting for three months to see results. You need to see results week one, week two, week three, right? Right there. So all our products are actually driven around, uh, you know, and we make those active claims wherever we can. For example, right now we started with personal care. Uh, But the skincare is launching end of November, early December. Uh, In the personal care, like you look at the anti-dandruff shampoo. Within seven days, clean product, complete reduction in, you know, 80, 90% reduction in dandruff. Uh, You look at the hair growth serum, you know, you look at, I mean, you just look at the reviews. Most people, the hair loss stops immediately. Does the hair grow back? Sure, Uh, the hair growth does grow back, but that is less under my control. Uh, from an ingredient perspective and more on your hair cycle, right? So if you, by default, entered and used my product, when I mean, your hair cycle is in the hair growth cycle, sure you'll see hair growth. Uh, so, you know, and that hair growth cycle for all humans is a four-month cycle. So, you know, it depends where you are in that cycle. So it, it, it's, it's, it's everything, but, I mean, for us, this, this, the clean beauty and, you know, hitting this, Demographic, which has been completely ignored in India. There is not a single brand that is focusing on women between the ages of 40 and 55. These are women who've, who have money, who've reached a certain age. They may be mothers, they may be corporate women, uh, and their skin is going through by and large hell by that time because there are so many hormonal balance changes and all of that that's happening. Uh, in the US also, and that's an aging population, and it's shocking that it's recently, actually, that have brands, as I would say as recent as a few years ago, that some brands have now really started coming in and really targeting. Everybody else is like loose in their language, anti-aging. Well, anti-aging is just too vague, right? Right,
2: uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, even a, like a 30-year-old would be possibly... Using an a anti-aging of- product. Yeah yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Everywhere because your skin starts aging from your late twenties, right? So technically, you know, you are going to use an anti aging product any which way. So, in,
2: uh, in terms of uh, pricing, and uh, you would be competing with, say, like a body shop kind of a pricing point, uh, uh, like premium no,
0: pricing. No, we 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 are premium, so we would so our shampoos and our personal care ranges between. In India, it's about. Between eleven $1, hundred for a two fifty mL to uh, scrub is at eighteen hundred. The hair growth serum is more expensive, so it's somewhere in that eleven $1, hundred to eighteen nineteen hundred. Different products are falling in that segment, but that's personal care, uh, the skin and, uh, care. Uh, who, who, who are, are the
2: other good. brands in this range? Like who? so, uh,
0: we don't we, we look at them not as our competitors because they are but they are in our price range. Karma, Forest Essentials. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Amino, uh, 82 degrees east, they they are sort of in our segment, but not from uh, a concept, not from a science, not from anything. Right. We right. are very sort of, we are actually country agnostic. We believe that we should just go to the country uh, where you get the best ingredient for that, if it's a concern or cause. So, you know, even though we are a, we are a, we, are, we are Swandros India is Indian, we have a U.S. entity called Swandros Inc. We've launched in the U.S. and we've always considered ourselves again, a global company. And we manufacture in the U.S.A. again uh, so that we get that made in U.S.A. label. It's We are manufactured in Portland or Oregon, a uh, third-party okay. manufacturing for the U.S.A. We manufacture in India, in India, for India. Our formulations are crafted in California, Uh, identical identical formulations. Your
2: R&D team uh, sits out of California.
0: Yes, uh, our formulators say actually we have uh, we have one team sort of in California, we have someone in Europe and we also have in Korea. So we've also tied up recently Korea and we will also be manufacturing uh, skincare in Korea because...
2: And, And Korea is also a large market for beauty products.
0: It is, like but this, we're, not, we're not using it as to sell. We're not going to sell in Korea. We are going to actually sell uh, our market for okay. is USA and India, our two focus markets. Okay. In fact, for us, our primary market is actually the United States.
2: Okay. Uh, so you're in Korea for the India. talent. Like uh, Korea has the talent for creating products.
0: We are in there for uh, two things. So Korea has a very short... Uh, Innovation cycles.
2: Okay. Uh,
0: so I want to, so all our products, a lot of people in the industry, as you can see, there are hundreds of companies that have joined. Uh, they go to a third-party manufacturer. The manufacturer will have formulations. They will just buy the formulation. Right, yeah. They put it into their packaging and they throw it out. Right. We don't do that. Uh, we don't do that because we are neurocosmetics, and we are very specific about what we want uh, in our formulations Uh, and so we build there might be something very base and we will build the blocks on top of it Uh, we will say we want five peptides of this level and that's what also makes our formulations expensive so that's been a big challenge because we've tried to try to be as 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 conscious as we can for India. So the same product, that same 250 ml shampoo that is selling here for 1,100 rupees is selling there for $27. And the, skincare, <laughs> and the skincare will show even more of a disparity, right? But it's the same skincare that is coming to two countries because I think uh, most important, because we saw this earlier, like a lot of brands that came to India, shortchanged India. In, in in the sort of branding that they did. Uh, so they had the same brand that was there, came to India, but it, somewhere the, the the formulation was different.
2: Right, right. The, the, you're talking about the mass market, like the Nivea's and... Uh,
0: or, I'm talking about a lot of MNC, MNC, brands, MNC. brands, actually. I'm not yeah. taking any names. I'm not going to take yeah. any names, but I'm talking about a lot of... No, no I mean,
2: yeah, I think it's fairly... Obvious. It's well known. Like, you go to a, like, say, if you go to GK, uh, you will have shops which sell imported versions of Nivea and Vaseline and so on. It's the same product which is sold for one fourth the price in a neighboring shop, the Indian version, but the imported version sells for 4x the price because people know that there is a difference between what is sold in India and what is uh, that same product from another
0: country. Yeah. So that's not true of ours, right? So actually our products, I remember were categorical, I was like, there's just no way, uh, whether it's packaging or whether it's it's uh, it's ingredients, uh, it's the same thing. India is getting exactly the same thing as the U.S. is. And sometime maybe in the future, I don't know, today it was important for us to have a Made in USA label to really establish us as a global company. And I think we would have been known as an Indian company if we did in manufacturing in But maybe over time, you know, Maybe over time we move our manufacturing to, you know, India and just keep it here. And then, you know, so, you know
2: once the brand is it. established, right? And
0: once it's ex- established, because actually it's the same ingredient and there is, it affects my gross margins, right? Yeah. I have really brilliant gross margins, uh, but, you know, obviously it cuts into it because U.S. manufacturing is much more expensive. Uh, than uh, manufacturing.
2: What, what kind of revenue are you doing in US and in India? Which is a bigger? Uh, obviously, US price points are higher, but just from a revenue perspective.
0: Uh, so we just started there. Actually, we started that two okay. weeks ago. Uh, okay. So very early days for right. us over there. It's just this is October is going to be our first month in the okay. US. Actually, it was supposed to start simultaneously. We ran into issues with uh, our manufacturing, you know, really locating and, and finding a good manufacturer, and that's why we got delayed in the US. But uh, the, the fact is, it should have actually started in April in both countries, and it didn't. So this was delayed because of that, but but uh, we have started there, and we'll see what, what it does over there. Here, uh, I will just say this to you, that we actually started from, let's say if we started in March from a zero base here, in terms of revenue. And we have grown roughly about 30% every month and we continue to grow. So um, the product market fit is, is seemingly really good. Uh, customer attention is really good. Uh, we've got uh, early days, four months of data only, but we're looking at almost 23, 24% customer attention. Uh, so we find that people come back to us again and again. So even if sometimes, you know, we've had two stock so early days of startups going through the chaos of startup uh, but you're seeing that you know if something one product is not available the, that customer is coming in back and buying another product wow well, so okay. it's i think the brand is speaking to them louder than anything else is uh, and i'm personally really really excited about the skin care which is actually coming out uh, later this month and that will be that's a made in we, we tried to do that in india and we could not um, so that's a made in Korea um, product. Okay. And I had sort of, I, got, I went there a few months ago to actually close the the, the unit and begin the iterations of uh, this particular product, which is coming out, which is very, very powerful. So a lot of the skincare sitting in, I would not compare it to skincare in the current shops or D2C e-commerce platforms. I would compare a lot of our skincare, at least the initial skincare, with uh, what you would actually get at a dermatologist clinic so this is the sitting at the cusp of what you would generally do in a medispa Uh, so it's very potent it's very very strong it delivers very high powered results but it is expensive because I can put I could do the same thing by putting a lot of crap in there for you but I just that's not what we are as a company so
2: what, by the end of current financial year, what do you estimate would be your monthly revenue from India and the U.S.? Like, would you cross, say, one CR a month at, in, in India?
0: So, we, let's say March end, right? Mm-hmm. March 23. So, we have looked uh, at a value of both countries. Uh, we will be at about 900,000.
2: Okay. Uh, Indian rupees? USD. Ah, wow. Amazing. Okay. So, almost a million... <laughs> A million yeah, almost
0: a million, almost wow. a million dollars, almost okay. a million dollars under. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. We but we also have we have and also what have percentage
2: yeah. from US in this your anticipation.
0: So 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 because the US has started six months, almost lost six months. Uh, it's almost a fifty-fifty split. Okay. But I would say that going forward, what happens is that uh, the revenue from the US becomes almost seventy percent. Yes. Uh, India is about 30, 35%. Uh, But the jump between year one and year two is also significant because there are a lot of learnings this year. Suddenly our products, so this December, end of November, December, we will have three more products. In end of Feb, we will have another. You almost have to 12 products by March end also. And that that product cycle of three, three, four, four products every quarter is, is very aggressive. And that is going to continue. So, um, the the vision is that we have eighteen products, and you know we will at that point in time, you know, sit down and say, okay, you know, who, which are the heroes, which are not, what are doing really well, do we need to revalue some of these, or do we continue? Uh, we'll see how that goes. But the uh, the idea is to get to an eighteen twenty product company uh, before we in personal care, skincare, hair care. Uh, so we've actually done the bag, right? So a lot of people will just do one, just hair care or just skincare. And I think one of the reasons why we chose to come in with personal care, though even it was about the skin. Well,
2: what is like, the difference between personal care and skincare? So what's personal an
0: example? Care is of... a sham, uh, well, so not even, so hair care, shampoo, conditioners and all right. of that.
1: Okay. But
0: skin skincare care is, cream, uh, is body lotion, body butters, right. uh, you know, body butters, uh, you know body washes it's uh, scrubs etc that but what we are finding is that there is also today what we call the skinification of hair so what you would do on the body you are now doing on the on the hair so like you're taking a scrub and putting it into your hair your scalp and uh, it's all of these things that are that are now being used, so it's not just a shampoo and a conditioner. As and the hair mask is also quite old now, but then our hair serums and drops and oil, all kinds of nuances that are coming into hair care, okay. uh, which are now heading towards the hair. So you have that, which is hair, and then you have the personal care, which is the body, and then you have the skin. For us, so I think what is
2: personal care? Uh, some examples.
0: So, so your body wash, scrubs, okay, would be body butters. Uh, body lotions, that would all be personal care.
2: Okay. And skincare? Uh, Deodorants,
0: deodorants. uh, Ah. You know, you you see that everything that you're using on the body is more Mm. personal care. Skincare, largely we talk about things on the face.
2: Okay. Got it. That's the differentiation. Like to remove black circles around the eye or like...
0: No, it uh, could be a day cream, a night cream, a serum, uh, uh, acne, acne, Face oil, uh, okay. you know, yes, dark circles sure of course. Uh, it could be anything, but related to the you're putting something on your face, and that's becoming your skincare routine. So when you talk about skincare routine, you're not generally referring to your body. Uh, you're referring to skin over here, um, and the 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 reason the, of the of this root of personal and hair care versus the skincare was also because we knew the skincare was going to be a way more expensive. What we wanted people to do was get entry, a good entry point for people okay. to come in, consume, uh, understand the brand, like us, uh, enjoy us. And therefore, if you've already enjoyed our products at this level, and you trust us and you believe and you like these products, will you now try a product which may be much more expensive, but this is now the skincare right? And that was the idea of the personal and the hair care. It also was the fact that it has a cycle of 30 days. Like when you use these products, you're using them every day and you consume them in a 30-day period. Whereas skincare, that 50 gram jar is sitting for two, three, four months sometimes because that's how long it takes for you to use.
1: Okay. So
0: so the, the repetition cycle was also much slower in skincare. So we said and that was a very, very conscious decision that we begin with this line we go to that, yeah uh, uh, and and that's that's kind of what we are doing,
2: okay, uh, you said you had a lot of learnings, so uh, like from year one to year two, what were some of those learnings here yeah so you mean in the in the and just human here,
0: yeah. yeah, I mean, I think one was of course, you know in terms of our agencies right uh. Of how, so what we learned from the sanitizer business was a lot about the e commerce platforms, about Amazon, uh, the functionality, functioning in the US. Uh, it was almost like a, a trial basis. Like we learned all the mistakes that were made. We were blocked, we lost seller central, listing, we went down for this reason. So, all of those learnings that was actually a lot of digital learnings that we had over the course of the sanitizer business, we have been able to correct, self-correct when we've put this into place, because this is also a, an e-commerce slash D2C business, right? Um, it, it, it's all of these things that have sort of played out, but even in terms of strategy and you know holding on to strategy, we've said that whilst we've created, uh, and we follow the same EOS system, even in Swanrose, Rose, uh, we've said, look, let's here's because it's a startup strategy can be a little bit more emergent because we are moving so fast so for us what we said is uh one of our one of our one of our core values here is agility with purpose uh and we live that value and that is about speed so yes you'll make an error but better to make a decision faster even if it is wrong than to be very slow processed Uh, so it's about everything is about speed over here fail
2: fail fast motto.
0: fail fast model but for you asked me about what 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 is it about korea so korea does that very 90 day four month cycle of, of innovating and bringing being able to bring things out much faster than anybody else and so from a supply chain perspective and uh, my supply chain guy left and we found him a very very expensive resource and I've technically had to sort of uh, take that onto my own shoulders which has been a fair amount of a nightmare and we are a seven people team here so we're trying to do two countries. Seven is
2: incredibly lean for like a million dollar business <laughs> amazing.
0: Yeah it's seven people we'll be adding maybe two or three more but uh, honestly. A very lead team. It's like a garage team. Let's put it that way. We are a garage team and there's nobody's got someone under them to do their job, right? So, you know, you you find you've risen to a certain point in life So this is a bigger difference, right? You go to a legacy business and you have, you delegate everything. You sit here and you're not delegating everything. You are doing it yourself, right, again. Uh, so it's a big cycle of change again that's, again, sort of come with this business and supply chain has been a nightmare. So we've gone to China, we've we were dealing through traders. We said costs were really bad. Uh, quality was a problem. So we said, let's go taking control of supply chain. We've gone to Korea, to factories. So I think the, the thing is that, you know, what can we control? And some of the learnings came from COVID, uh, of also having a diversified supply chain, right? Uh, should we just be in one direction or two direction? We know these things are going to happen to us quite frequently going forward. Uh, as a young company, perhaps not. Not very smart sometimes, I think, by doing this as a mature company. Yes, absolutely required, but it so happened that, you know, the U.S. was required. We couldn't exactly manufacture for for India in the U.S. We had to manufacture in India. The skin care uh, came out of Korea. So did it make sense now to carry it to India to manufacture? Well, we didn't believe that India could actually manufacture the skin care. So,
1: rather than take it,
0: you know, so by default, it is actually ended up being these hubs of manufacturing. Uh, But it's it's played into what we need uh, for the moment. Um, And yeah.
2: In a couple of years, what do you see Just Human as? Like, do you see it as becoming something like a, you know, like a body shop or something like that? Like a, a global... A company with a global presence, uh, retail stores all over, or is it like going to be pure online? And w- what do you see it as?
0: No, I think uh, the vision for Just Human over the next five, six years is uh, we will go to retail in 18 months to two years. Okay. Uh, we will hit certain numbers in uh, D2C and e commerce. We will 100% go to retail. Uh, our wish list, of course, our first part of our wish list, uh, at least for the US, is Sephora. Uh, in India, we will go to modern trade for sure because our pricing does not allow us to really list with Kiranas. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, Unorganized retail, I mean, it it will
0: not really, general trade will not work for us. So we will go to, for sure, because uh, India even worse. I mean, because the US market, at least 60% of the US market is on e-commerce. Beauty is brought on e-commerce. India, actually, we are still penetrating, penetration increased, but we're only at 18% okay so india is still sort of growing i think people are still nervous about you know putting their credit cards in and all of that still continues in india so you look at your cash on delivery like i was hated doing cods hmm. but we found that exactly necessary here completely you have to do cods on delivery right because it's a low uh, trust market yeah it's a low trust market so it's it's over brand building and takes time i think for you to create that so um But yeah, it is absolutely go to retail, uh, you know, in a a big bad way. Uh, That's very, very important for us. It's the the vision for us is very clear as to where we'd like to be in five, six years. Uh, Our revenues, you know, take massive jumps in year three. Um, The the retail outlet reach is really just that pushes us really to a a whole different level as a company. Um, Our gross margins also, you know, today we sit at uh, India is about seventy-four percent. India, the U.S. is about eighty-one percent. I know that having brought all the supply chain under our own control, and the moment we build out our inventories, right today we are really you are saying charge us more, but we don't want to do more than five thousand units. China will not even do as it is. That's a big fight. They wanted to do hundred thousand pieces, not five thousand and ten thousand, right? So I okay. know that over over this year we will actually be able to. Also, those relationships are building. And we've already got better pricing than we were getting from our traders. So we know that goes straight to our bottom line. So we know our gross margins are already going to stand improved uh, by March, 10, 15%. So, you know, where can we take it? So, I mean, the learning was this also. So the sanitizer, because there was a price issue, there was COVID, our gross margin was only 48%. I will never do that again. Uh,
2: Uh, I want to understand this as someone who's an outsider. When you hear 80% gross margin, uh, as a consumer, the first thing you think is, I'm being ripped off. (laughs) What is the difference between your gross margin and what you actually make as a profit?
0: So that's not my net margin. That's my gross margin, right? So, for example, I mean, today's start to year one, right? I will, I'm bleeding as a company, right? Because I'm spending on marketing, I'm spending on supply chain buildup, I'm bleeding. I'm not, that's not like, so I might have a gross margin. What it basically means is that eventually uh, as a company, I will do well, right? Yeah, so- Once the still,
2: economies of scale kick in.
0: Once the economies of scale kicks in. So uh, for me, for example, you know, a consumer looks at me and says, you know, hell, you know, what they need to look at me and say is that, my God, what is she giving us, right? Is she giving us a good product? Is she giving a product that works? That's the most important thing. At the end of the day, for me to exist as a business, uh, to employ people, to, we are carrying fixed costs, you carry variable costs, we pay factories for production, we pray, we have marketing budgets. Uh, Amazon takes, let's just put it this way, uh, platforms take 30, 35% as listing fees, right?
1: Yes, if, right. You,
0: if anyone thought it was free to be on Amazon, uh, better than being a <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, think yeah. again, right? Okay, so mm. you're mm. paying that and that's just to be present. That's not then to show an ad or present. So, I mean, it's different. Your 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 EBITDA margins are very different to your gross margin. Your gross margin right. is the health of your business at one level, which is hmm. one level. Now everything else drilled down. What is your net margin coming to, right? Mm-hmm. So we are expected to break even next year. Uh, wow. We break even. So it's a very quick break even. And that's only because, again, we've tried to keep our company healthy. Because we know that there, are, there was a time when people were just, what's the point? We'll die if we don't have good margins, right? What are we doing the business for? So mm. this was a big learning for me from the sanitizer business in terms of our gross margin, because it really, we did great sales, but we bled. And there was no way to stop the bleed if our gross margin was low. So if you're in the e-commerce business, you need to have an average gross margin of 70%. Okay. Average. very interesting. If you are lower than that, you are going to be wiped out sooner or later. Mm. So most tech companies, software and all will have about 100%, 90%, 100% gross margin. Mm. And that's just the way you need to be structured to survive the business. Um, it doesn't work in in any other way. Mm. So, it's not like you, you will end up with a net margin and that's, you know, I'm, you're being ripped off. No, not at all. Mm. So all these are the costs which have to be accounted for.
2: Right, right, right. Uh, but, so five years down the line, what kind of uh, revenues do you see yourself doing?
0: So we have, uh, we are looking at, you know, we're looking at, our, at a valuation and this is our goal. <laughs> 2028, 20, 28, 29, we've looked at a valuation of about a billion dollars as a company.
1: And, and that's which what
0: we are working like towards. So the whole hundred, team is working towards. It. Uh, this is a number that is on our deck. And this is a number that we see at every single meeting, every single human being in our company sees that number and but there's, a valuation goal, there's is
2: a, so subjective right i mean valuation is in the eyes of the investor uh, no
0: it's a multiple it's a multiple so which okay. means your revenue needs to be this industry has multiples of anywhere between 3x and could be 3 to 8x depending okay. on when you are so there was a time earlier if you look at like some of uh, who we consider competitors for example in the in the us would be a company like drunk elephant uh, tacha uh would be a competitor for us right uh but not direct tacha is probably the closest competitor to us because she talks about this whole uh you know the field of science she doesn't talk about the science but she talks about the skin brain this sort of whole sort of connection but she's okay. she's uh you know she's sitting at one level but more from the aroma and the the lighter the softer side of it. We sit okay. on both sides of it. So it's different. But if you look at them, they were both sold in the last three years. One at 891 million after six years. The other one also sold that she was likely, Tatcha is older, I think a 10 year run. PNG bought her. And I think one was bought by Unilever Ventures. So, so it just depends like who, what, so, some, but you know, you'd need
2: to be big at big. least like a uh, 150, 200 million revenue. to Yeah, a, you need to be at, at least a
0: 200 million revenue. Yes, uh, you would need to okay. be at a 200 million revenue. Mm, amazing. So, okay. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, for us, even our projected revenue for the year three, because we go to retail and I, I mean, we've kept it pretty, we've been very conservative and I know it sounds like a huge leap, but I recently, uh, so we are, we've started having some investor conversations. We are looking at a seed raise fundraise, right? How much are you uh,
2: looking to raise?
0: We're we're looking to raise $2 million. Okay. Um, So we're having, and this is one of the, so this is about an investor who knows the business and who doesn't know the business, and this investor actually uh, said, why are you only at 35 million in year three?
2: Mm, Okay.
0: So I was like, you know what, Uh, honestly, you're absolutely right. We actually, when we did the numbers, they were higher. But we purposely dumbed down the numbers because people look at us in amazement and say, how can you be, right? So to not get questioned on your credibility, we crash the number. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he says, "But you know, you could be, you'd be doing this revenue in this year. And I'm like, thank you. We believe that, yes, we do. <laughs> we are in alignment, but we can't show that on a deck when we are presenting to people. But we can We can get there. And, you know, the, the understanding of something, we also believe like something like the science of neurocosmetics is where the science of the microbiome world was 15 years ago. And the U.S. market is ever ready because they will be able to understand it faster. Grapple yeah, early with it adopters. Before. Yeah, Early adopters, right? So we do believe that you know, even that in terms of education or getting or reaching, uh, and of course, they still have TikTok.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, beauty yeah. influencers, yeah, OK.
0: Correct, we don't have TikTok. So influencers are a yeah. big part of this, right? Uh, beauty ambassadors, beauty influencers across the industry. Uh, I actually find some of them, you know, are real-time people, sometimes somebody, you know, it doesn't even have to be an influencer. Goes crazy because they've had such an incredible experience with our products and they've come out and, and they're gasping about it. And and you're like, okay, this works even better for us. Because I think an influencer at the end of the day, everyone's gotten tired of some influencers, right? It's just, uh, it's, 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 it's just too much, uh too much of just, you know, selling, selling, selling. And you know that it's not not necessarily genuine. Whereas if it's just someone who's used your product and they might have 2000 followers, right? Or 500 followers. But the fact is, if they've used your product and then they've put it out because they've loved something, well, much more power.
2: Mm, So TikTok has replaced Facebook as the way to market uh, to the US audience.
0: Well, Facebook has anyway been a slightly dying medium, right? I mean, meta is, uh, it's a bit aged. Mm. uh it was for exactly the demographic that i'm targeting in fact they yeah, uh, yeah they are the ones who are actually previ- are present on the, on facebook but everybody else is i think dumped it gone you know a long long time ago so yeah.
2: mm, amazing and that brings us to the end of this conversation I want to ask you for a favor now did you like listening to the show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in the show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at the That's ad at t-h-e-p-o-d-i-u-m dot in.